Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I've also got an Instagram, I Love That Movie Podcast. And we've got a Patreon if you want to support us on there. Uh, this content is free. However, if you sign up for Patreon, you do get a bonus episode weekly with a weekly roundup of everything that I'm watching. Um, and we have a lot of fun on there. And I want to recognize my top patrons who are Chris Balga, Jeff Widman, Michael Cross, and Joseph George. Again, thank you guys for keeping the light on. Uh, we've also got a Teespring in case you want to buy some swag as well as a Discord and a Facebook group uh, where you can chat with other movie lovers and just talk about your favorite films judgment-free. My only rule in there is keep it positive. Uh, and if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. A um, couple of quick plugs of events coming up. On February 23rd at the Alamo Draft House in Richardson, um, there will be a screening of Christopher R. Mims' Queen of Snakes. And if you guys have never been to a live show of his before, they are so fun. It's usually like $5, which actually goes back as a credit onto whatever you order at Alamo. So it's a really fun time. And that's with the movie. We're probably going to mill around in the lobby um, and hang out before the movie starts. Tickets are not live yet, but just kind of putting that on y'all's radar. Um, and then Alcon is coming up. So March 12th, uh, we have a panel at 9 p.m. We're going to be talking the creature from the Black Lagoon. And then on March 14th, we have a second panel where we're going to talk about the movie Them. And in both cases, my guests are going to be Michael Cross and Christopher R. Mim, and we have a blast. If you guys have never been to Alcon before, it's so much fun, and these live shows are great. Not only do we do a live show, but we do a Q&A afterwards, and you get a chance to even be on the episode if you're in the audience. So yeah, a lot of exciting stuff coming up, but today let's focus on my new guest, a first-time newcomer to the show. Say hi, Sean. Hi, how is everyone? Hey, well, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the show, Sean. We've talked about this for a little while now. Um, if you don't mind, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience a little bit? Yes, I am a, a fellow cosplayer here in DFW. Uh, most notably, I think I rose to uh, the local uh, kind of uh, Newt's Commander um, fame, I guess, uh, <laughs> with the detail of what I've done and, and it's... Uh, uh, made many, many, many connections between uh, a lot of the cons around here and when LeakyCon, the Harry Potter convention, was here two times in oh, a row. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, I, uh, di I kind of uh, evolved from the blue coat of what we're going to talk about today to the gray coat of the sequel um, and upgraded the magical suitcase. So I have done other uh, um, cosplays. Uh, I have uh, 
you know, expanded my horizon, and I've just actually learned how to sew, sadly. Um, oh, that's okay. <laughs> this, There's no shame year. in that. So uh, <laughs> I've actually been able to, I'm going to be able to go in and re-stitch the buttons on my newt vest. Um, that, that is the same newt vest that's been uh, weathered and worn for quite some time, and uh, it's because of this uh, feature that we're going to talk about today that has inspired that entire startup. Uh, for that cosplay. That's awesome. So this movie actually got you into cosplay. That's so cool. I didn't know that. It 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 not so much got me into cosplay, but it it made one of I think the most creative cosplays and attention to details that I've done. I, I oh, I've been a okay. about um twenty fifteen. Okay. Um, really sparked it. I've done some Marvel stuff and things like that. Oh, uh, the okay. Walking Dead. Um, this was one that I've done the longest and I think the most detailed, um, and, uh, you know, whether it, uh, it was commission work or something that I found online, it was able to order it uh, replica style. Um, you know, I've had my new wand for a very long time. It is also, um, a, a point of interest of my, um, I want to say minor obsession with, uh, pops and, uh, uh, Harry Potter and, um, the Wizarding World collection, I guess. Uh, I have a very, very large collection. I think I've sent you pictures. Um, yeah, we will definitely uh, post those. <laughs> <laughs> that'll even, uh, that even considers the two stand-up um, uh, 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 Newt Scamander and a young Albus Dumbledore uh, from the Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, in my uh, in my corner of my collection, I couldn't find room for two life life size figures uh, of cardboard cutouts. Um, so I'll I'll definitely delve into that later and uh, tell you how I came about those. Well, awesome, Sean. So uh, you know we've teased it a little bit already, but our guest always picks the movie. So which movie did you want to talk about today? We are going to go into the nineteen um, twenties of the featured. Uh, uh, J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I'm so glad, uh, you know, you kind of threw a couple options at me and I immediately jumped on this one because I saw your cosplay and I realized I'd met you before. And yes. also just because I feel like this movie just needs more love. Yes, um, definitely. Not that people like hate it or anything like that, but I, I often feel like it it's un underrated, you know. So I just it's well, something that I really. Yeah, want I to agree. Talk about. I, I think that it's it's underrated. I think that the the second movie got a bad rep, and and to mm -hmm. an extent, it's not, it doesn't do the justice that the first movie does. And I think that it could have focused more on more of the actual Fantastic Beasts because that's where the entire essence of what J.K. Rowling um, wrote, not just as a textbook but wrote into a script and it kind of got carried away with um, the Dumbledore angle and, and, and that sort of thing, Grindelwald and trying to tell that story and trying to, you know, now that she's written five um, total movies uh, leading up to the time of uh, the fall of Grindelwald and the rise of Tom Riddle, um, that, uh, that is the kind of timeline for it all. And unfortunately it gets kind of overshadowed with Newt's story and mm -hmm. Newt, uh, relationship with these creatures which is very much uh what eddie redmayne um portrayed um you know greatly in this movie in in watching uh mannerisms and, and facial expressions and his behavior around the the beast versus his behavior around human beings um I, and, I and, totally and, agree. and behavioral tics like that that they sometimes get overlooked in in, in a light-hearted movie like this I, I completely agree. I, I think the focus should be on Newt. Um, he's one of my favorite characters in the Harry Potter universe. Um, and I think he's not your standard 
leading man. Uh, he doesn't have those standard qualities that a, a lot yeah. of times the main hero does, but it's refreshing and it's new. And I think it was more beloved than maybe she and uh, the studios realized. It almost seemed like they were trying to go away from him, but I think it's stronger when it centers on him. I totally agree with you. And before we delve too much further, I'm going to go ahead and give a quick synopsis. Certainly. As I always say, guys, you know, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so I would definitely watch it first. Um, But here's a description just in case. The year is 1926, and Newt's commander has just completed a global excursion to find and document an extraordinary array of magical creatures. Arriving in New York for a brief stopover, he might have come and gone without incident were it not for a nomad named Jacob, a misplaced magical case, and the escape of Newt's fantastic beasts, which could spell trouble for both the wizarding and nomad worlds. Certainly. And uh, <laughs> what what we'll learn later, of course, is the uh, uh, what didn't get brought up, brought up very much, but in very small pieces, I think more in the books than the movies, but it very briefly touched on in the Harry Potter movies is Obscurial. Um, and the Obscurus and, and, and that sort of thing. And it gets explained, it gets explained in great detail in, in what exactly it is in this movie um, because it does carry a lot of weight in the, in the major plot leading towards the ending. Um, you know, and of course, uh, anybody that's, that was, is a Harry Potter fan is at least given this movie a chance and then some. Uh, sure. it, you know, it premiered on uh, uh, November 18th of 2016 um oddly enough the sequel uh premiered on uh, november 16th of 2018 mm. um so uh in about half of i looked it up about half of the harry potter movies actually got released on in the same week as these two movies um in their respective years so it's very something she had a, a kind of a, a time there with uh releasing certain harry potter movies either during the summer or um during the winter and this was uh this and the sequel were released about the same time during uh, right before thanksgiving um this was actually done of course written by jk rowling and uh, based on the textbook fantastic piece of where to find them by newt's commander which was actually featured in uh year one if you listen to, it was either Hermione or Harry reading off the book list of what they needed, mm-hmm. and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was actually one of the books for year ones, going into uh, going into Hogwarts, um, and of course, you know, uh, uh, Hagrid, you know, is, becomes a it's a game gameskeeper and um, becomes a you know the the magical beast uh, a professor um, uh, within the second year and and. Um, so, in essence, that's what he's teaching them about is what you learn about in, in this book. Um, David Yates is actually the director. He uh, did a number of the Harry Potter movies. I think a number of them towards the end. I want to say yeah, he did uh, uh, the, five, six, seven. I think yeah, he did the like Order that. of the Phoenix, the Half Blood Prince, and also Deathly Hallows Part One and Two. So he did the last, technically the last four mm-hmm. movies slash three books. Um, he did, uh, I believe he actually did the Crimes of Grindelwald too. Yes, uh, he did. So yeah. he did. Uh, for, I want to say five total so far, uh, as far as um, J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter Wizarding World goes, uh, with these. And um, what I've learned since is be- it has it has caught fire because it has has had certain aspects of uh, Newt's Commander and Fantastic Beasts added to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in That's Orlando. Right. I actually in- bought a Newt's Commander wand the last time I was there. 
That was so the start they, of my uh, new Scamander costume. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen it's wonderful. I've seen it. Um, it's uh, of course uh, you know everyone loves the classic blue coat um, that came out of this one. There's a I, I graduated to the uh, yellow uh, or not sorry yellow the gray kind of old English. Um, yeah, I uh, love that you did that. That's so cool. And, like, uh, I actually got it off of a movie replica website, and oh, I actually cool. double it up. Uh, Days like this here in Texas, when we get a freak uh, cold snap and it's 32 degrees outside, uh, I actually have that with my Newt Scamander scarf, the same scarf you see in the movie. Uh, it's awesome. that old style, um, kind of yellow, darker yellow and gray uh, Hufflepuff uh, colors. That's when I knew right away that he was a Hufflepuff, um, just looking at that in the beginning. And, and of course, that's a funny part. But Eddie Redmayne, uh, Catherine uh, Waterston, uh, Allison Sudol, uh, Dan Fogler from you might know from The Walking Dead and um, oh, I didn't realize he movie. was from that. I, I he, love his he character. Joined on The Walking Dead. Um, he actually uh, lost a lot of weight for his health, exercised, and uh, he joined up the cast. I think at the beginning of season, I want to say nine. Uh, mm-hmm. He's still on the show. Very much looking forward to his progress. Uh, I got the um, the fortune of having Marauders Pass one year and meeting him and um, oh, Allison Sudol at the first leaky con and they were the nicest people i've ever met in my life he was he has one of the funniest laughs i've ever heard uh it's featured a couple times in the movie yeah very Um, infectious it's very infectious they had a they had just an amazing chemistry in this movie uh it's one thing that i'll talk about a a little bit is is allison siddall and and dan fogler and i've loved him since balls of fury and and some of the stuff that he's done early on um and he's really slimmed down and he looks great now he's i'm really happy for for his career after this movie it really skyrocketed him to to frida to start him doing uh doing the second movie crimes of vendorwall being featured in that and he's he's scheduled to be in the next uh the next few ones that they have planned as uh jacob kowalski so um they do have a lot planned for uh for the franchise and uh we we've had you know colin farrell playing a big role in this movie um uh, what people might know is uh, Ezra Miller as the Flash in DC movies mm-hmm. is actually plays Creedence Barebone um, in this movie. I, I love him. He's just he's he's amazing on Instagram. He has, yes, he has a wonderful. Yes, he's account. so zany. I just love him uh, so much. Such a great personality. Uh, a little um, odd trivia: Samantha Morton, who plays the um, Second Salem or like, like mother figure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, opposite um, Ezra Miller, is actually on The Walking Dead with Dan Fogler now. I did not realize um, she, all these people are on The Walking Dead, but I, I don't keep up with The Walking Dead, so I think I'm I'm sort of out of the loop. <laughs> yeah, she actually plays uh, Alpha, the Whisperer. Mm-hmm. Um, she joined about the same time or a little bit before Dan Flogger, so it's weird to have two. And I didn't realize that was her until I went and watched Fantastic for like the ninth time, and I recognized <laughs> her voice. And I was like, that uh, sounds really familiar. I looked it up, and sure, you know, sure enough, we've got you know small parts by John Voight. Um, of course, a feature by. Uh, cameo by Johnny Depp at the end, leading into the next movie as as Gilder uh, Grindelwald. Um, that's a very important role uh, coming up in the upcoming movies. Uh, of course, as we all know, with the Harry Potter history with um, uh, Grindelwald and um, Dumbledore, mm-hmm. so you know it's a, a big, big dynamic there. Um, in in a very small role that that I loved um, in the in the uh, Speakeasy uh, with a uh, voiceover by Ron Perlman. Uh, for I did Nar- not realize that was Ron Perlman. I like yeah, that I knew, scene. I knew, yeah, I, I love the scene. I knew the uh, voice. I knew the jawline. 
Uh, for <laughs> just you could just kind of tell. And if you, I was a, I'm, I've always been a fan of Sons of Anarchy. So me I knew, too. I, me too. I, you know, and I, I, I've met him a couple of times at. Oh, at, that's awesome. At conventions, and and I always get nervous around him. But I, you know, last time I thanked him for being just even a small role in the, in the J.K. Rowling universe to make such a memorable little, you know, elf. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that that caused such trouble, um, but yeah, it's it's an. I love timepieces. I love timepiece movies with fantastic like outfits and vehicles and Same. you know and language and and just all kinds of stuff. So being in 1926, going way back from you know uh, almost 55 years from when Harry Potter was born, um, that we know of that universe. This is a whole another spectrum of a universe that now we're having to get used to. And it's just, I think that's what drew a lot of people in was that timepiece era. Yeah, of, because I think, I, you know, in the wizarding world, in the Harry Potter movies, um, there's this sort of old world nature to the magic world uh, yeah. because they don't rely on technology. So because they don't need technology because they have magic, it's like everything kind of stayed like sort of old timey. And I feel like it would be hard for audiences if you took that away. So if you're going to put the whole movie in our world, the best thing you could do is go back in time because then you have an excuse for everything to look old timey. So I think, yeah. And I think in in the progress of, of, of telling the story from, from introducing Newt and and the age of that he was to, to Mm -hmm. obviously building up Grindelwald, uh, Dumbledore into Grindelwald and the, and the wars, the Wizarding Wars, and then the, the rise of, of Tom Riddle and the timeline leading up to um, him becoming Voldemort and then um, first trying to kill Harry. Um, you know, I think that, that it's it's neat in that storyline to have in the 1920s, the mid-1920s leading into the 30s uh, and everything that not only goes on in the Muggle world, or, or as we'll learn, what they're called nomads in, uh, in America, uh, but um, you know, just to have that that kind of cinema aspect of, of the 1920s. And that's one of the things I really loved about cosplaying the character was um, the the long trench coats. I've, I've even got complimented at the grocery or at the uh, convenience store about uh, my gray Newt's Commander jacket. Um, <laughs> they're saying, hey, that's a nice jacket. And, you know, it's awesome. It's, you know, it's, it's very uh, like four pockets on the inside uh, or the outside. I got two on the inside for my wand. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, and, and I noticed something that I have missed all the time in my cosplay. Uh, um, Newt has a little uh, kind of wand pocket on his waist um, oh, when he doesn't have okay. I, I miss All these times I've seen it, um, I completely missed it. But, um, yeah, uh, the book itself was published in um, 19, uh, supposedly 1927 uh, by Newt's commander. Um, so literally a year after the, the events of the movie. Yeah, so when okay. he says, I'm going to go turn in my manuscript... Um, so he'd already he published, finished it, yeah. Yeah, he had already finished it. He published, wrapped it up. Um, by the time Harry came around, it was in his 50, uh, 52nd edition of the book. Uh, he he actually made Newt's Commander was so popular uh, in the Wizarding World at that point, he actually was uh, placed on a chocolate frog card. Um, oh, yeah, so I saw that in like the uh, when I was looking through the trivia about it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so hopefully Ron and all of his chocolate uh, chocolate frogs got a um, Newt's Commander card because he says he had like five double. It makes me want balls. a chocolate frog right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I get them on occasion at uh, Barnes & Noble, so I, I hope I can never come across a, a Newt now that I know that um, he's part of it. But yeah, it's uh, planned to be a five-part uh, five franchise. Uh, of course, we've already got an announcement for the uh, third one being uh, placed in uh, – uh, sort of like a Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil. Oh, and the, uh, I didn't know that. That that's really interesting. So they just came out with that very recently for okay. twenty. Uh, 
2022, probably 2021 post-production. Yeah, the uh, little interesting trivia um, that uh, J.K. Rowling only had eyes for Eddie Redmayne for this character. Yep, I have that written down too. You can really tell that in the movie. You can really feel that. I think she really kind of saw, because at that point he had done some really great features. Uh, one movie that I've got that I, that I want to watch over again is uh, uh, The Theory of Everything. With that's, him playing Hawkins. that's the first movie that I really noticed him in. Um, I, I had seen him before, like in Les Miserables, uh, which he plays such a different character. He's such a you know handsome man. He seems so... Um, you know, I don't want to say normal because what does normal mean? But you know what I mean? He just seems like yeah. your standard leading guy. And then in the theory of everything, of course, he's playing a different type of person, a different character. Um, and so he's so dramatically different in that that I didn't realize it was the same person. And I feel like she was definitely inspired by that. I mean, he was so endearing so. in that role. You know, and it's uh, it's just it's, it shows you that all these different actors from all walks of life and, and you've got... Uh, you know, um, uh, just this ensemble that comes together. And even if it's big names playing smaller roles, um, you know, like Colin Farrell and, and Johnny Depp, that they, they lend their uh, hand to uh, an impressive, uh, not just with, with CGI, but um, uh, just just the storytelling uh, mm-hmm. of this character that we only knew from a textbook. And we, we really didn't know anything other than, than he was a, like a, a great, I think a great, grandfather to luna lovegood i think um oh i didn't uh, realize that okay yeah i forget what the bloodline was exactly but he was her she married his great-grandson i think okay um so uh and you're talking nearly 100 years or so after he was around um so yeah i i read up that the um the actors all went to wand school to Mm -hmm. learn how to Mm -hmm. uh particular ways with their wands with certain spells or or the way that they do it much like the original actors um did you see um in the featurettes they talked about getting wand elbow like tennis elbow because i think the actors asked them to add some weight to the wands um because at first they were like they're so light that it doesn't feel like quote unquote real. So yeah. they weighted them, but then that caused their, you know, elbows to hurt. <laughs> yeah. I've got a replica and it's maybe a couple of ounces at mm-hmm. best. So if they put, you know, four, four, five, six ounces in that thing and you're twisting and turning it all day, yeah, you certainly will, uh, you'll certainly feel it um, <laughs> at, at the end of the day with uh, once you're, you know, in, in going over and over in the take as an actor. Um, you know, do, doing that. But, uh, yeah, like I said earlier, we get, uh, we get the introduction of, of the termology, um, uh, nomadge, uh, yeah, which is no- yeah. I forgot about that when I was watching this again, I've seen it in America. Probably so that four was times. Funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, really funny. Um, the first, the first time I heard it, uh, it really kind of caught on. Um, and then I, when I read up on it, apparently, um, the reason they don't, they didn't use muggle in America is because it was muggle referred to marijuana smokers in the 1920s. <laughs> um, very strange little trivia there for uh, the difference between nomads and muggles. But hey, she did her research, um, obviously. Um, and I also learned that one of my favorite deleted scenes that I watch on YouTube all the time. Uh, the I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the um, they're they're all four in the suitcase, and, and uh, before they get warned about everything going bad, and they're talking about Lita Lestrange and the school, and uh, Allison Siddall begins to sing the Ilver Morning uh, school song. Um, you mentioned that, and I, I was like, I don't remember that part of the movie. But okay, so it's a deleted scene. I guess deleted I scene. It. It, yeah, it's on on YouTube, and uh, 
I'm so used to seeing it now that I was waiting for it in the in the movie watching it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's it, apparently she made up that song on her own. Um, and and JK got a kick out of it. Uh, so I would be like I would really thought that was the Yellow Morning School song because the Hogwarts song is very very cheesy. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's Hoggy Hoggy Hogwarts. It's just it's very. They had a much better song that she made up for for the American school. So why you know why not? Um, and of course, you know, I come to learn that, uh, after LeakyCon that she was an actual recording artist. She's an actual singer. Um, oh, with a, okay. uh, she's got a beautiful voice, um, outside of acting. Um, and, uh, so yeah, she's got acting and, and singing going on for her. So yeah, so very fun little facts, um, you know, about a, a very whimsical, a movie that introduces you to a whole nother world of, uh, of, the, you know, magical, um, being, um, not just, you know, in the confines of, uh, you know, Hogwarts. Totally. Yeah. You actually got, cause we usually do, uh, quick facts and you got oh. two of mine. My, my last one that I was going to add was, and I kind of caught this this time, but I don't think I caught every level of it, so I just enjoyed it. When Mary Lou asked Newt, are you a seeker? He answers by saying more of a chaser, which is yeah. a double meaning. Seekers and chasers are both positions in Quidditch, but it also alludes to the fact that he chases creatures. And, I have that in my yeah. in my chronological notes here, <laughs> uh, down down like about the time that he meets her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I got a kick out of the first time I saw it. Uh, anybody that remembered anything about Quidditch, uh, and of course with Harry, um, knew uh, kind of got a giggle um, out of that one. Um, you know, because easily with his slender flame frame, he could have been a seeker. Yeah. Uh, yep. Had he had, but I, he didn't seem like the rough and tumble type to uh, to play Quidditch. Um, Very true. Uh, so, yeah, that was a that was a fun little one. Yeah, and th- those are actually the ones that I had. Um, you mentioned wanting to go in chronological order, so let's do it. Um, okay. what, what's like the first scene that you want to talk about? Okay, so uh, the opening, of course, we get the logo for the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them uh, is actually the S on Fantastic Beasts, I believe, is um, is uh, an alchemy, the actual alchemy bird-type snake thing that we see in the movie is actually shaped like that. Oh, I didn't uh, realize that. And of course, you get the, a, a touch of Hedwig's theme uh, as you're opening up, and the original score, parts of the original score from Harry Potter, um, as we're leading into this. Because uh, towards the end of the movie, we get kind of its own score. Um, I, I can't remember the connector's name now that did the score for this movie, but he also did obviously uh, um, Crimes of Grindelwald and uh, both movies. Um, I want to say the last thing was Newton. He's done some movie scores before, but it's a beautiful uh, soundtrack. Um, you know, uh, very much with the pacing of the movie all throughout there are different scenes, slow, fast, uh, action and, 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 you know, especially the, the slower parts towards the end, um, with, with the four main characters, but, um, you know, it's, uh, just, just to jump in real quick, it's, uh, James Newton Howard and it looks like he also composed King Kong, Batman Begins, the Dark Knight, Hunger Games, quite a few. So yeah, so I agree. Major, I love the major movies that uh, this this guy has a real ear for um, just beautiful pieces and and uh, you know movies that don't have a quote unquote soundtrack uh, mm-hmm. that have more of an orchestra type um, uh, you know movie play as you go through um, and uh, you know doing doing movies like this it just it adds to the feel of the movie whether you're seeing it in the movie theater or you like have a good sound system at home or you're just watching it or even if you're just listening to it itself um you can see the pictures in your head when you're listening to it or you can get the feel for it as you go along you know Mm -hmm. um with different scenes um 
you know, we get before we get the uh, the cool headlines from all the uh, wizard newspapers. We see uh, a very dark and murky scene. We're not sure where. I don't know if it's it's it's. Uh, they they. I think they later mention um, it's somewhere in Europe. I think Germany maybe uh, that they they're tracking Grindelwald and, and all you see is a uh, um, possibly some auras uh, tracking down Grindelwald and, and just giant white light um, mm-hmm. that comes through and blows them away. Um, I don't know if it's a Vada Kedavra. Uh, or if it was some other sort of killing curse, um, but obviously it wiped them out. And then we go into this this cool, um, you know, feature of magical headlines in, in newspapers from around uh, around the visiting world and in, in different things. They talk about this nomad sport with their feet that we would know as soccer. Um, <laughs> is, it, is it the is it the nomad just Quidditch is one of the things that I had. And um, you know, uh, they talk about uh, the dragons and stuff, which which is alluded a lot in the Goblet of Fire, uh, talking mm-hmm. about the different dragons. And so we get a lot of that as we're opening up. And um, so then then you you get this uh, this overshot of of Newt on the boat coming you know coming to America and the Statue of Liberty, and uh, you kind of get a feel for the timepiece by the clothing and th- that kind of thing. Um, and uh, you know he he docks off the boat and comes up to immigration, uh, you know, and ch- checkpoint to to make sure uh, they ask him if he's you know uh, you know visiting from from England, obviously. And uh, um, you know, do you have anything uh, livestock in the case? Which is you know, once you realize what's in the case, you know. So uh, the you know he wants to check it, and you get this cool little um, Newt puts it up there, and he he kind of pulls one of the locks, and it goes Muggle. I think it says Muggle proof. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, muggle worthy, I think. Muggle worthy, yeah, Yeah. because I I wound up finding a uh, cute um, lock, or not a lock, but a a, a keychain at uh, LeakyCon that was actually that. It was a lock that said muggle worthy on it. That's awesome. Uh, And it's uh, funny on that part because when one of my locks broke on my uh, Fantastic Beast suitcase, I actually managed to gear up that particular piece to it. Oh, um, awesome! Uh, so it That's actually great. looks like it has on that there now. Out. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a uh, little bit of the the last minute. I think it was before either LukiCon or one of the big ones, and I was in panic mode. Um, but, <laughs> I've uh, been there. Looked, Every cosplayer knows oh. what that's like. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> so we hear Newt um, talking to uh, Dougal on the boat, and uh, we let, let her learn that Dougal is a demi guys, um, which is a. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It looks, um, it's it's a not really like a sloth looking thing, but um, it uh, has these large black eyes, and we learn that it turns invisible, which is going to mm-hmm. be very problematic uh, later. Um, but um, we uh, one of the first things I noticed was the bottom button of Newt's uh, vest was always undone. Um, oh, okay. And one of my pointed this out, and uh, it's. Um, Part of what became become the concession of uh, my cosplay is that I always left my bottom button undone. He was very, uh, he's very disheveled. He's always in a hurry. Um, he doesn't always take the, the time to, you know, prim and proper himself because he's so worried about, um, you know, taking care of these animals. Um, so that I think it's a little subtlety that, yeah. that she, to um, to that sort of thing. But um, you know, we open up uh, New York City in the 1920s. The old timey cars, you know, uh, the old clothes, the the cool looking stuff like that. Uh, you know, I read uh, that they uh, actually built the set, the entire set from where they shot from scratch. Um, mm. Or because of uh, what you then learn with Colin Farrell entering the scene, this force that we later learn as an obscurus uh, has it starts wreaking havoc through the street. 
um, and, and tearing up and scaring all the muggles. Right. Um, so a lot of that stuff that they did in the confines of New York, they built, it's just amazing. They built this entire set from scratch inside of a sound studio. Um, Oh, it's then, all yeah, in a sound the, studio, too. It's yeah, not even, like, outside. Huh, I didn't so know that. It's like in, and it looks like old-timey New York, which is just amazing thinking about it now and, and, and re-watching the film over. But, yeah, then we come up to your scene um, with uh, Stephanie Morton and the uh, the Secret Chaser, or Samantha mm-hmm. Morton, sorry, the Secret Chaser. And um, that was that was funny right before we get the uh, the ensuing bank scene where we have the interchange of Samantha Morton's character and, and then we have Tina Goldstein enter the scene and we have Jacob Kowalski enter the scene uh, and then, of course, Newt. And, and here we get the first uh, one of the first sights of one of the beasts, which is the Niffler, one of my yes. favorites. Oh, he's my favorite. I just got a Niffler in the mail, so <laughs> I will have him for the next convention. <laughs> they, were, um, they were very adorable. They um, We got this one for a while and it was actually one of my first... Uh, one of my first props um, that I ever had was a Niffler with a coin. Um, I think, Aww. I want to say like Barnes & Noble or something or Amazon. Um, but they aren't too bad. Uh, according to the uh, Ministry of Magic, they are only a 3X uh, classification, which isn't really all isn't that bad, I guess. Yeah, they're not like uh, dangerous. They're not which... like super dangerous. Or they're, I think, mis- more mischievous and troublesome, mm-hmm. more so than, than, um, than dangerous in that aspect, like... Uh, some of the, the larger um, beasts would be really, it's what they call competent wizard should be able to cope with. <laughs> Let me it's, ask you a quick question. So you've got the the book, the physical yes. book. Um, did you, the book, did, it came out before the movie, right? Or did it come out like at the same time? Uh, I think they had published it before it, after Deathly Hollows and everything was finished. Okay. She had done some offshoots, including this one, mm-hmm. and like Beetle the Bard, and uh, some of the stories and stuff that you heard throughout Harry Potter, either through the books or through the movies. Um, they had some actual features of those books, um, you know, available, and then of course it, it, you know, took off even more when when people wanted to reference. Uh, from from this movie, you know, once you start seeing these uh, actual Fantastic Beasts and, and what they can do, and, and then you, you learn about there's a classification system um, right. from Magic, uh, you know, that uh, that the classify all the way up to uh, uh, the easiest to the worst, and you know, uh, most of what he dealt with wasn't all that bad, um, but. Um, they they said it's one uh, x up to six x one x boring which is I can't imagine too many of them being boring. Um, <laughs> I know they all seem my, so fun. The creatures are like some of the best parts of this movie. And yeah, and I think they did a great job really having a, a hodgepodge of of either within the suitcase itself or within the movie and the storytelling. But they they go uh, up to harmless, must maybe domesticated. The the competent wizards should be able to cope. Uh, dangerous. Uh, and then, um, oh, it's five, five X's is a known wizard killer, impossible to train or domesticate, oh, which wow. is, I, I think very few of them, but we're talking like on up there with like dragons and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, that's, it's very interesting, um, reading through it and seeing just this world that she created of just, just creatures alone yeah. that are, uh, she is. She's classically trained on mythology and oh, okay. um, things like that. So a lot of her stuff comes from 
Greek mythology and and just ancient, you know, that sort of thing. Those tales from back then that um, based in, in in mythology and history and and that sort of thing that she kind of combined into her writing over the years uh, that really gave a lot of insight to um, bits and pieces. And of course, you know, borrowed ideas from common animals, um, sure. you know, and, and characteristics of common animals. And this was very much uh, Niffler is very much like. Um, a platypus, I guess. Yeah, like describe. a really cute, cuddly platypus. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a gold-digging platypus, I guess, would be the best <laughs> way you could describe it. So, yeah, we had the introduction to some of the most important characters in here. Um, uh, so I wondered, as I watched it for, I think, the 12th time, how come, just in case, I, I know he didn't expect him to get out, but how come he didn't since, you know, uh, enchant the suitcase with some sort of protective seal or... or you know, some sort of like you can't escape kind of uh, uh, protego on there for the animals so that for it wouldn't real. go around. Um, because that, you know, at least to uh, a muggle, that seems like um, what, what you would do. Um, yeah. But one of the scenes in the bank that I first got a kick out of was uh, he sits, he panics and sits down next to Jacob trying to eyeball um, the Niffler, uh, <laughs> stealing everything. And um, he goes, uh, what are you here for, mister? And he goes, uh, same as you in a panic and um he goes uh, trying to get a loan for a bakery what are the chances i know that's uh, a really good comedic really moment <laughs> and uh and one of the funny scenes the niffler is stealing everything and get his hands on and approaches a little dog in the bank that a woman has on a leash and a it happens pug. Little, i have a little pug as well i have so. a pug as well so um <laughs> both of us got a kick out of that scene yeah because very much so my pug would snap at a furry animal trying to drag uh, <laughs> grab its collar too um protecting you <laughs> but uh then we have the um you know the egg hatching scene um that uh that was uh, quite hilarious actually um one of the characteristics of, of newt that i i picked up on in cosplay was his wand in his mouth whenever he's dealing with his That's animals true. Or he, um he is taking care of his animals or he's in some sort of nurturing mode he sticks his wand in his mouth and if you go and look at his wand when you first get it it's got like teeth marks in it from where he's held it before. Oh my gosh, I did not I notice know. that, but I think you it's, were mentioning earlier, like, why didn't he put a spell on the briefcase? And I've been thinking about it. I kind of feel like that goes along with his personality of being, like you mentioned earlier, disheveled. And then yeah. also, everything about what he's doing is reckless and new territory, right? Because nobody has cataloged all these creatures the way he's about to for this book. And a lot of these creatures, there's a big theme about like being afraid of these animals and mm. him pushing back on that and saying like, we need to learn how to understand them, even if and they are it's... really frightening or whatever. Yeah. And I think it's really, she has a lot of subtleties in her movies, obviously. Um, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a lot of acceptance, Mm-hmm. It's a lot of understanding what the unknown, uh, not just about animals, but um, obviously wizard kind versus humankind. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's it's a lot of subtle subtle societal um, kind of uh, inceptions that that people you know that people don't quite see in these books. There don't you know the more you read them, I guess, um, and the more you watch them, the more you understand you know her inclusion in her universe of, mm-hmm. of different people in different walks of life. Um, you know, in this one, she has a, uh, um, you know, there's a, a black actress playing the, uh, the, you know, 
uh, Madam Secretary of the American uh, Makuza, and uh, and you know you have uh, different people of different races within the the Makuza itself um, holding uh, different positions and such. Right. So it's that they you know, probably wouldn't have in mm-hmm. the regular nomad world at the time too. So yeah, and like you also got to think this is, this is uh, she wrote this in the time of the 1920s, and it mm-hmm. wasn't that far back from the 1920s that you had segregation and such. So in, you know, so it's very much in that new world going into the, the 1920s and 30s that, that people are having more, um, more roles and more rights. And she's trying to show not just a fear of the unknown with, with these animals, but just inclusion and, mm-hmm. and giving everyone a chance. Um, so it's, it's very little subtle things that I like about not just her books, but, um, her movies. And, um, uh, you know, the wand in the mouth was, was always something that I, I adapted quickly. A lot of times it's when I'm in cosplay and I'm either having to put something in the suitcase or stop and like rearrange my nifflers, um, uh, <laughs> a jacket, because now I have two baby nifflers Aww. from the um, or I'm having to rearrange my, uh, my newt setup or, or, or for a picture. Um, so it's, it's very much became now part of the norm of what I, I character into cosplay. And the only thing I haven't been able to do is his hairstyle. Um, I don't have good hair like him. Uh, mine's straight and spiky. Uh, so uh, I've tried wigs and I love his hair. I love how curly it is and just how messy it is. Uh, it's very much for his character. Um, but, um, yeah, I think his I think his chemistry on screen with Dan Fogler in this is amazing, uh, especially in this bank scene. We have uh, Jacob's response to being apparated across the room from Newt being pulled across the room and then being apparated out of mm-hmm. sight. I love the when end. they do that. <laughs> uh, the look on his face, uh, on Dan's face, is is just befuddlement and like how did that just happen? Did I I was over there and now I'm over here? Uh, what what just happened? Um, so he just great casting on that part yeah, yeah. Uh, for those two. Uh, as we get down to the the apparently the Niffler got away, got into the um, main vault, uh, and then you have what uh, a lot of Harry Potter fans are very familiar with: Alohomora and Petrificus Totalis, back to back. That we heard from um, Hermione uh, in book one. <laughs> That's movie right. One. That's right. Uh, so it was a little throwback to the beginning of uh, the Harry Potter universe there with two of the most famous uh, spells. Um, so, yeah, we have the intro uh, right afterwards for um, Pickett. Uh, and uh, that's our bow chuckle that we'll learn a little bit more later on uh, about that has a uh, family inside the suitcase. And then we also <laughs> so are um, – it's very, very cute. I have <laughs> a wonderful little um, bendable um, bow chuckle. I do uh, too, yeah. Uh, he came with a little card that told about his family um, and a little magnet. So I still have that. That's uh, very <laughs> cool. He's always the one that stands out because I, I get him bended um, and holding on to my vest at all the cons. Mm-hmm. Um, so he holds on to me the entire time. Uh, and uh, I, I trust that he'll hang tight. And he's just one of the most adorable pieces to that entire, entire costume. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, we yeah. get the formal introduction of Tina as a agent of the Makuza. Mm-hmm. The magic, uh, uh, I want to say, um, I can't, I'm blanking out now on how it begins. A Congress of the United States, it's a magical something, Congress of the United States of America. So it's basically the Ministry of Magic for the U.S. Right, as we right, right. Yeah. Magic, um, from the world uh, before. And then we have the explanation of nomads, M-A-G, uh, versus muggles. Um, the muggles, as we know, are the non-magicals, much like the Dursleys. 
um, versus uh, the um, Wizards, and we have the uh, Nomad, the Nomadic, versus uh, the Wizards in America, as mm-hmm. terminology goes. And I assume that we have terminology um, for Europe with like Dunstring, you know, wizarding school and, and that sort of thing that every country would have its own little terminology. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So hopefully we'll hear that in the upcoming movies with South America where when they're eating, they're meeting wizards from South America and such. So hopefully we'll build on that little world of, uh, of, of that, even the smallest little details like that, you know, with, with JK Rowling and just, she's an amazing writer with real little things like that. So, um, a lot of world building, very like J.R. Tolkien, you know, something like that. Yeah. It's uh, then, then we have a cool part uh, where she basically brings him into the Makuza building, and it looks like a normal building from the outside. You, you the camera pans in, and it's normal uh, Muggle building or Nomad building on the inside. She then tells the bellman, uh, it turns around, and the next thing you see, it's a completely different building on the inside. Mm-hmm. And now we have the um, the U.S. Uh, Magic Institute, basically. Um, and what's different about this is, of course, we see the uh, ministry is on high alert. Um, of course, with all the things going on with whatever this is tearing up the city and with Grindelwald causing trouble around the world, um, we have we noticed that uh, house elves have a very um, kind of humanly role in, in the U.S. Uh, as yeah. opposed to the U.K. Um, they have jobs, they have clothes, they have wands, um, you know, they have respect. Uh, it's, it's very much... Long, long before the, um, you know, Hermione uh, had the, the you know, spew, before she put that on to, to really delegate rights for them, you know, they had 100 years before they had rights in America. So, you know, you think about the writing of JK, the, the U.S. versus, you know, the U.K. and, and, and how she wrote these characters and, and how the progression of things that go on in the, in, you know, something 50 years later in the Harry Potter books has, you know, it, they've already advanced that, you know, mm-hmm. in the 1920s and in the, in the, uh, fantastic Beast series. So it's, it's very interesting, um, the way that she writes it like that, um, that, you know, when you go back and watch how, even in the books, how elves are treated and, uh, the, the introduction of spew and the more, more so the books, uh, the introduction of spew from Hermione. Um, and then we get, uh, Madame Pickery, uh, who is the head of the, uh, magical Congress right. in America. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it actually is. I think it's M A for magical C for Congress. Cause I could never remember if the A meant for anything else. <laughs> You're doing uh, better but, than me. I don't remember. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's Makuza, like, like C O O Makuza. Um, okay, okay. That, um, we learned that she was an aura, or uh, or at one time, and she um, got into trouble doing something. We'll learn about later that she's now basically a desk clerk, uh, doing um, checking in wands uh, for wizards uh, around mm-hmm. New York, um, and that um, we'll discover more details about that later. Uh, one thing I know is that, um, of course, I don't want to give away too much of the ending uh, regarding Grindelwald, but we meet this character um, Graves, who is Colin Farrell. Um, and, uh, I'll go kind of into his, the importance that I noted of his name, um, mm. when we, we have the big reveal at the end, but, um, yeah, we learned that, uh, that, uh, Jacob and, and Newt, when he was supposed to obliviate Jacob, they, Jacob kind of hit him with a suitcase and ran, uh, and we later find out that Jacob now has Newt's suitcase. Oops. Um, we, we, we discovered that when, uh, uh, Back at the uh, Makuza, when Tina opens up a case that has uh, pastries in it, 
um, that she accidentally made a fool of herself. Um, <laughs> so now we've got Jacob that accidentally opens up a case that uh, he thought was his. Um, and we have this giant um, explosion of, you know, all these animals escaping. And, and with that, <laughs> we have uh, a couple that we can see and some that we cannot for, you know, big reveals later. And yeah. one of them, is, uh, one of them is called the Mertlap. It's, um, I want to say like, it's like a tiny piglet with tentacles on its back, sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that Look, one. Um, it jumps out and, and, and grabs uh, Jacob and bites him on the neck, which is, uh, you know, Im- important for later on. Um, and then the demigeist that we'll learn, um, that it's, whose name is Dougal, uh, is, uh, actually turns invisible, and that makes it all the more difficult. Um, this little um, – it almost looks like a weird-looking uh, bug with a hard shell. It's called <laughs> a billywig. And um, it actually has like a like wings, but on top of its head, so it actually flies up, sort of like you know those um, you know those little flyer things that you have a cord and you pull from the side and it goes kind of up in yeah. the air. Yeah. That was um, the Billy rig reminds me of one of those. Um, uh, we we learned that a rumpet got loose. Uh, I don't know how because this thing is the size of like two hippos put together. Um, <laughs> And uh, a kind of a throw to the rumpet and the rumpet horn is that um, I think it was the Deathly Hollows one movie. They were uh, visiting um, uh, Luna Lovegood's father, and there's a rumpet horn on the wall. Oh, um, okay. About we have a kind of a name throw, a uh, name drop there uh, that we learn kind of more about what this rumpet really is. Um, and then of course uh, an alchemy got loose. One of the little kind of bird snake type cool looking things with like these scaly skin um that that'll cause trouble later um so yeah that that's our kind of our um gang of misfits that we're now going to chase all over new york um in different parts of new york causing a lot of trouble uh some more so than others uh and then we learn about some of our protagonists uh, in the upcoming scenes called the second salemers and of course a lot of that is going to be based on history with uh, salem witchcraft Salem with a witch trials. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of that that kind of um, you know uh, witch hunt. I want to say kind of thing going on there. Uh, Definitely, yeah. They're just or, automatically afraid of uh, magic users, and they're you know saying that they're demonic. Essentially, here's what we meet: um, two characters, one of which is very important in this movie. Um, you know, of course, the mother figure is, is Samantha Morton. Um, and then, of course, Ezra Miller, uh, the wonderful Ezra Miller from uh, Justice League, uh, plays uh, Creedence Barebones, um, mm-hmm. who, who play a catalyst role. Um, but uh, when when Newt and Tina finally get there, they are able to uh, basically, I guess, use Confoundus, a spell, to confuse the muggles and make them think it's a gas leak. Yeah. And um, Newt is able to ru- hurry up there and... I don't know how he somehow has a nonverbal, I know there's nonverbal spells in the wizarding world, but he has a nonverbal Reparo spell that basically repairs the entire building. It's very weird um, and very <laughs> quick that I didn't know he was, I started to learn over two movies that even though he got booted after, I think his fourth year, maybe fifth year at Hogwarts um, for the incident, he's a very uh, schooled wizard and yeah. what he does in both he, movies, very, he, very schooled. I imagine he spent a lot of time reading, you know, so even if he wasn't able to be at Hogwarts, you know, maybe he spent a lot of time reading the material. He is very, very studious. Um, mm. And uh, he seemed more of a Ravenclaw than a Hufflepuff. Um, <laughs> so I thought it was a little strange. Uh, 
Yeah, then we learn about uh, a new creature called the uh, Swooping Evil. Uh, it is um, when he basically, uh, they, uh, Tina takes Newt and Jacob to uh, her apartment where we meet um, her sister, um, uh, Queenie, sorry, um, who's played by Allison Sedol. And um, then we learn that she's uh, a legitimist. Um, I hope I'm not getting myself ahead of myself here. I am. Um, uh, let's see. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I am on the right track. Yeah, we learned that she's a legitimist, which is a mind reader uh, in the wizarding world. And um, so, you know, we get uh, a very uh, insi uh, insightful look at their little family and their family history and, and how she can read minds. And she apparently has trouble with British people because of the accents, she says. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a, a very... Cute chemistry um, you learn between Allison Sadol and Dan Fogler and these two that they he I think he falls madly in love with her the first time he sees her and he yeah. falls more in love with her as he goes on because you can just see it in his face um, they just play they play very well to each other in this movie I uh, agree um, it just I love the way that they look at each other um, mm -hmm. the whole movie it seems uh, really pure and earnest yeah. and I think all the characters you mentioned, um, you know, just how we got introduced to all of them in this movie. I think one of the strengths in this movie is all the the relationships between the friends, you know, between uh, between Newt and uh, Jacob and Queenie. Um, you know, it, between all of them, um, I think that they have a really, really. You get to know them very quickly, but by the mm. end of it, you feel like they're a real team. Yeah, and uh, and and one of the funny parts was before they go to the apartment that they're they're, they're looking for Jacob in his apartment after the after the attack from the Merlap, and um, you know Newt says, "Well, it doesn't seem that bad." Um, the first sign would be uh, flames coming out of anus, uh, and Jacob <laughs> kind of looks at him, um, you know, and she's like, "Well, who would you know they're going to oblivion? Him. Who would marry him?" Um, and he, Jacob kind of gives you know Tina this look, um, so. Uh, you know, it's it's a very funny exchange. You know, verbal, nonverbal uh, looks that they give each other, um, interactions um, with each yeah. other throughout the movie. I think made a, a been an amazing chemistry. I, I love the dinner scene at the apartment with the girls. Um, oh, yeah. uh, Jacob. Uh, you know, both when she's reading his mind and and when he learns about um, you know um, just you know before they go to bed the whole the whole exchange back and forth the looks that they give each other and you know you could really you know feel the the connections of each other starting to make and Newt's kind of still you know a little jumpy and trying to get to you know find his his um his beast so then we get um you know them calling it an early night and uh you know Tina comes in one last time and brings him cocoa and Jacob's like look Mr. Commander cocoa um, so he, he's very lively in the character. He's made some great, great lines, uh, that they gave him throughout the series. Um, when Newt, uh, puts a suitcase on the floor, which I saw the behind the scenes of this, there was actually a hole in the floor with a ladder. So he, he off screen, <laughs> he kind of lays the suitcase down and then quote crawls into it. Um, and, uh, when Jacob sees him crawls in, he gives this kind of yelp. Um, and apparently what I learned later is I forget the name of the book. It's a magical book with an old lady and a cat on the cover. And when Jacob yelps, the cat jumps off the cover onto the back cover um, <laughs> and then crawls back. It's I, it, it took me nine times to see it before I finally saw that particular scene. Uh, it's just very tiny, 
very little detail that J.K. wrote it, you know, wrote in there, but uh, it it you know makes that much more interesting um, when it comes to that. But Jacob's reaction, I wrote down, was one of my favorite. Um, besides the giggle water uh, reaction that I'll get to later, uh, but um, then we learn uh, inside the suitcase. We finally get to see what goes on inside this magical suitcase. Yeah, I love uh, when they're in the suitcase. It sort of reminds me of, I mean, not the same, but this Mary Poppins kind of. Mm-hmm vibe and then getting in there like a sort of like a what do you call it the doctor who yeah yeah you have very much like a tardis type effect um that it's it's obviously been an expansion charm put inside the suitcase to house all these animals and all these different types of uh atmospheric conditions that they would need um you learn (laughs) uh, it looks like when you first enter it it looks almost like a woodshed i guess kind of thing going on uh, where he does a lot of like doctoring and stuff. So he treats, he treats Jacob um, and, and basically says, you know, if the girls see you stop sweating from the infection, then they'll obliviate you right away. So, you know, we need to work together to find these. Um, and you learn about a swooping evil. Um, it's a uh, kind of a long tailed, almost dragon esque looking bat thing um, mm-hmm. that apparently has uh, its venom, venom has uh, obligatory powers that'll become very useful later on. Uh, in the story and there's right, one part yeah. that, that bothers me in this particular scene and uh, editing <laughs> they go down in there and newt is um has i think he has his uh vest on with his shirt starts it and then halfway through the scene he's getting the venom and showing the swooping evil and his shirt is untucked and his cuffs are all undone and then when they leave the shed he goes over to the thunderbird and he's now his shirt is tucked in his vest is fully up ah, some goofs and I said, whoops. Um, it took me a couple of ones before I, I, there's no way he got all that on that quick. Um, just <laughs> getting out of the shed. Um, yeah. So we, we, we finally get to start to see some more fantastic beasts, which is one of the best parts of this entire movie. Um, this gigantic one called the Thunderbird, which is a lot of native American, uh, kind of history and mm-hmm. mythology. Um, with, uh, you know, the weather and the lightning and, and, um, you know, bringing healing powers, I guess you could say, uh, sort of thing. Um, we see all kinds, uh, we have these, uh, amazing looking kind of, uh, like a, almost like a, uh, beast like cattle with these tentacles on front called a graphorn. Uh, that apparently Newt saved from extinction. Um, we then uh-huh. learn a little bit more about um, uh, and the little baby ones are adorable. Uh, there's like <laughs> two little baby ones that are that are around. Uh, we have these other, you know, all kinds. We've got uh, Picket with a little bow chuckle, a little green uh, kind of twig-looking uh, living living being, um, and uh, we learn about his his brothers, Titus, Finn, Poppy, Marlo, and Tom. Tom gets an easy. <laughs> so cute. They have like people names. <laughs> uh, so they all got people names, and apparently they pick on him because he uh, sticks to Newt too much. Uh, oh. They they pick on him, and they were you could hear the little chirps and all that stuff from them. Uh, it was adorable that that scene in particular. Um, we learn about the alchemy a little bit more um, in their nest, and that the, you see a little bit of the uh, shells and and uh, kind of the interaction. Oh, that's um, right. A little bit of uh, foreshadowing there for. Uh, the end of the movie and, and, yeah, and Jacob. I missed uh, that. Honestly, and I didn't notice until about a couple of, a couple of times watching through about the uh, actual shells themselves and how important um, those would uh, play by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, these little moon calves were adorable that Jacob fed. Uh, they're like <laughs> little like calves with kind of bigger heads and like these giant eyes and moon calf. I read was a couple of different terminologies in, in, in the old timey days. And, and, uh, 
you know, we, we have these, uh, the Grindelwalds are these flying little things that we saw a lot more of in, uh, Crimes of Grindelwald at the circus. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Kind of go in the bubbles. It kind of turns into something different, uh, sort of like a cocoon type effect, uh, there. Um, we have a couple of different other animals. Uh, one looks like a little dodo bird, uh, with its little, uh, babies, but it actually has like, um, uh, vanishing and teleportation effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have this other one that looks like a lion, uh, but it has a big expanding neck like a blowfish almost. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so it's some amazing, amazing CGI, amazing creatures. Uh, you got to think when these two actors are down there, they're interacting with things that aren't actually there. They're yeah, having that's that's a good point. This animal, that animal, Newt's carrying around this neon kind of squid and basically birthing nothing. Um, right. He's, he's this inanimate object that they lay on later. Did you watch like uh, the behind the scenes um, to see like some of the, uh, the way they would uh, introduce these characters. They were like little puppets on little sticks that stood in for some of them. I thought that was a cute idea. Uh, Yeah. So you've got some sort of, at least some sort of prop, I want to say. Yeah. They kind of gave them a little prop to kind of play off of. I think they had maybe some conceptual artwork of what they were going to use. So they say, okay, this is this is what it's probably going to come out looking like, and then this is what you're going to use. This is where its mouth is. Um, this is the kind of interaction that you'll do. So it's very interesting to watch these behind the scenes of something that's that's CG heavy. That right. uh, you know that that the actors have to play to something that either isn't there, is an inanimate object, or you know that sort of thing. Even the Thunderbird was just this giant wooden kind of head that he had to interact with. Right. Yeah, I saw that. Around. Um, that sort of thing. Um, you know, they did it a couple of times with in Harry Potter movies with uh, like Buckbeak and, and, you know, creatures like that. So um, it's a very interesting aspect of, of acting. Yeah. And, and having to play to something that maybe isn't there or you're having to really use your own imagination as you're acting towards it um, to, to be a part of yeah, it. Yeah, um, I, I know that uh, Eddie Redmayne too, he, for research for the role, he talked to a lot of like trackers and, um, you know, people like, I think like zoologists and stuff like that to see, to kind of study their behavior, um, how they acted around animals and th- that made That's him. interesting. Huh? That's very interesting. Yeah, like, and it made him more to... like physical. You know, he said yeah, a lot of so like he... stepping. He said that's why he kind of like turns his feet out to the side and he's like very quiet. And, you know, the one thing you talked about earlier, like I guess he just wants the use of his hands and not necessarily magic. Um, yeah. So that and uh, when you were talking about Jacob just now too being down in his little in, inside the suitcase, it, as you were talking about it, I was just thinking, man, you know, he's so game for everything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, he's he gets a very down lighthearted there. soul that that's very kind mm-hmm. and he's very like you know I all I'm very much here to help you because you know uh, you 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 know I, I don't know if it was just something new. In his life, but he just, you know, he's like, he says at one point, you know, I don't think I'm dreaming, Mr. Scamander. And he says, what makes you say that? And he goes, I, I don't have the imagination to make this up, you yeah. know, and it's just, he's just enthralled in this world. And when he learns that it could all be taken away from him by, you know, Obliviate that, you know, he wants to do whatever he can. And, and when Tina, or not, not Tina, when Queenie letter says to him, well, you're one of us now, um, yeah. you know, it, it, it's just, it's. It's just an amazing dynamic uh, for for them working together and and being a part of this just imaginary world that they brought to life. Um, you know, in, in the suitcase scene in particular, uh, mm-hmm. with all these all these animals and stuff. And um, 
And then, of course, we get into uh, the Obscurus, and we learn a little bit about what's going on with uh, this soon-to-be-important um, kind of like a, a something out of a sci-fi movie. It was like a kind of a this air about it, and there was like a black mass in the middle that you know had noise about it, but it was just like a a force almost, like you know something out of a Star Trek show, mm-hmm. uh, with that sort of thing. Um, so uh, you know, and we we. Touched on the movie. We touched on Obliviate, which didn't get talked about too much in the, the Harry Potter movies, um, other than Hermione obliviating her parents um, during the Deathly Hollows to save them from harm. Right. Um, I guess it doesn't come up a lot in the magic world, but since they're in the nomad world, it does. And and I noticed when you were talking about the, you know him being introduced to Jacob, too, and somebody asked, did you Obliviate? And he goes, no. So, like... And he says it later towards the end of the movie, but like he like he liked Jacob so much right away, like instantly. And I was wondering if maybe some of that is because, you know, uh, his character Newt is is very much an outsider. He's sort of an oddball, um, you know, kicked out of Hogwarts. He doesn't belong. And so when he meets somebody else who's also not part of that world, it's like he instantly connected with him. Um, and the, the, their bond for the rest of the movie, like, I don't know, I think the next time I'm going to go back and watch it, I'll probably think about that more, but there's so many little hints, so many opportunities to obliviate mm. him, like you said, um, yeah. but of course he doesn't. And like, to. you know, he, he steers him away from, you know, if you come with me, the girls are going to notice you're not sick anymore and they're going to oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't know you, you know, I don't know you that well, but they don't, you know, they'll, the first chance I get, Tina would do it because she thinks it's by the book and you right, know, you, right. you, you've already helped so much now <laughs> that, you know, um, that, you know, it's, it's this dynamic that they have. It's, it's, yeah. it's awesome that now that these two are going to go on this chase across New York to find, um, you know, first, uh, a Niffler, um, who's apparently raiding a jewelry shop. Um, you know, uh, uh, kind of like an upscale jewelry shop that, uh, tries to pose for a second to fool Newt, um, <laughs> and of course Newt doesn't buy it. So then we have this scrapple inside the, um, inside the shop and breaking things and hanging from sandaliers. And uh, I kept thinking they were going to be arrested. Like I was like, is that where they're going to go with this? Or like the first time I saw yeah, it. Yeah, I couldn't figure <laughs> out where the first time I saw it, uh, cause I remember seeing the theaters the first time around and I was so fascinated with everything going into it. Um, in every scene that, um, you know, I was just caught up in the moment. One of the, one of the first times we ever hear a new spell Fenestra, which is a, I guess a, a finessing of a glass breaking uh, spell from what I looked up, uh, kind of doesn't shatter everywhere, but makes it more kind of, uh, less harmful uh, when it shatters. Uh, first time we ever hear that newt, um, uses that to get into the jewelry store to, to kind of wrestle the Niffler. Um, and, uh, you know, of course we get out on the street and, um, we, we have the New York City's finest uh, called, and, uh, you know, they're caught with um, – we get, you know, Newt uses Accio to grab the Niffler, and you've got <laughs> Jewelry and a Niffler flying through the air. And, of course, the Niffler has stuff coming out of its pouch, you know, flying through the air. And, and then the, the, the police roll up, um, you know, and, um, you know, uh, all of a sudden we've got uh, a loose lion from the New York City Zoo uh, comes up on the, uh, the, the scene. Um, and so, you know, something else is afoot at the zoo at this point. And Newt, I think says something along the lines of, uh, you know, New York is much more interesting than I imagined. Uh, <laughs> so, so they, um, they're able to get away while the police are obviously distracted with, uh, you know, taming a lion, uh, in the middle of the street. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that was, uh, a, a fun, fun little scene with, um, the Niffler, um, 
We then come to the zoo, which is another wonderful exchange uh, with, with another wonderful animal. We've got the arumpet, which is a very much a giant uh, hippo rhino type thing with apparently uh, explosive powers in its tr- uh, trunk, mm-hmm. um, like its horn. Um, that uh, we had a little bit of touch here and there throughout the books on the rumpet horn uh, and its its powers that can be used in, in um, different things. Um, so I wondered, as they got to the zoo, um, you know, he tells Jacob about to uh, put this on with an old-timey, it's basically like an old-timey 1920s um, uh, football helmet, yeah. kind of like Pat. Um, he looks very funny because his actual pop, the Jacob Kowalski pop, is like wearing that. Um, he's wearing the, the helmet, the, the sock of the helmet, because he says something about, well, your, you know, your skulls are much more susceptible to breakage. So we we learned a little bit more about the dynamic of the physiology of wizards compared yeah, to. Yeah, um, he mentions that a couple times, talking about how they're a little bit different. And we know that we know that um, during the Harry Potter series that that wizards are can can have bones broken, of course, because with Harry and Quidditch accidents, and then of course with people like um, uh, Lockhart, you know, taking the bones completely out of his arm, uh, that sure. we know that they're susceptible to things like Skelligrow, and uh, having their bones grow back, even though it's painful, um, we don't know if that sort of thing would still work on a human, I a see. muggle, okay. would on a wizard. Never thought about so that. The, the dexterity and the the physiology, um, and even the immune system, so to speak, of a wizard might be different than a nomad or a muggle. So, um, and, and I, I wondered after this, you know, I'm taking many time watching it. Where did Nuke get this equipment from? Did he happen <laughs> to have this? Just need, did he know that Jacob would need this? So he just conjured up or had it <laughs> hiding in his suitcase. This football equipment uh, that he came out of nowhere, or this rugby type uh, equipment. And it's, you know, he's funny looking in it, but. Um, uh, yeah, so they go try to capture the rumpet. Uh, and now we have the famous uh, mating dance scene. Yes. Um, there's apparently a rumpet uh, musk that, uh, that Newt has, and, and she's mad for it, apparently. Um, uh, the, the rumpet to female is trying to mate with a hippo inside mm-hmm. the zoo, so they draw its attention, and, uh, and Newt uh, starts this mating dance uh, that's I, I imagine it had to be fun for him to learn. Well, uh, also it, painful. I don't know if you saw yes, in the behind-the-scenes heat. very painful with the rolling around yeah. and the bending and the, just the, the back and forth, uh, just a lot of extenuous, uh, you know, he's, uh, the guy was in shape for the movie, obviously, but yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, he, he gets an injury, scene. I think, in, in, in filming it. He, like, pulled his groin muscle doing it. Oh, I can imagine, because, I mean, <laughs> some of the roles, like, how did you take after take, you know, for CGI purposes and stuff, and, yeah, and the roles. Yeah, he got really into it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, very much into the, which, you know, applaud him for, for being very, very much into it. It's a, it's a very comical scene for him. Uh, <laughs> apparently, um, you know, uh, you've got Jacob off, off scene um, holding the, the musk, and um, then you've got a what appeared to be a walrus throw a brick at Jacob, uh, which was weird. Uh, and the musk kind of breaks loose a little bit, and now the rumpet is chasing Jacob uh, outside the zoo and through uh, Central Park, which is now you know kind of snow covered and, and the water's all frozen over and stuff. So they're you know and chase basically chases him up a tree. Um, I just want to say really quick, too, I've heard criticisms about this movie that is boring and nothing happened. And I noticed watching it this time, something constantly happens (laughs) with all these animals. So I disagree. (laughs) Something with one of the beasts or some calamity or some important conversation. it's fun. Something magical that's going on that that will play a role later on in the movie or later on in the series even. Um, So it's 
yeah, it's very much at a good pace. I felt like most of the movie. There's a little. There's a few slow parts here and there between um, uh, between your your Credence character sometimes and, and the mother, or uh, even between Graves and Credence. Uh, but that actually plays a role into what happens at the end. Um, so uh, you know, you've got um, uh, this point. Uh, the boys get back in the suitcase after being able to finally trap the. Uh, the erumpet and um, Tina is very diligent about her job. She wants to be an aura again. So she grabs the suitcase, uh, tracks them to central park and grabs the suitcase. Unfortunately, she takes them before the magical Congress. Um, and then we learn that, um, you know, she basically, we learned that someone's died, that the mm-hmm. obscurus has uh, taken out the, what then would be a uh, Mariel, I think Mariel candidate of the major businessman and newspaper owner, his son, his oldest son, uh, uh, has, has basically the obscurus came in, uh, killed him, dropped him from the ceiling, tore up the banner. Um, and you know, now there's major disrupt, uh, in the, um, the wizarding world has learned about this, uh, during the council meeting and they've called in wizards from all over the, all over the world at this point, because, uh, when Tina pleads the case and, uh, they make, um, Newton Jacob come out of the case, you know, everyone's uh, taken aback that a, ma- a nomad is there. And, you know, at one point they say, Scamander, um, you know, and I think uh, they, they say Theseus. Um, no, it's his younger brother. And, of course, later on in the second movie, we actually meet and have um, interactions with Theseus uh, Scamander, right, his old right. brother, yeah. who fought in, uh, in apparently uh, one of the Wizarding Wars. Um so that was very interesting to get a build on uh, on a on a name drop there. Yeah, it um, seems like uh, you kind of get the the hint. Yeah, his brother's like the more quote unquote normal one, the one that went into a life of being in the Ministry of Magic or the American yeah. or yeah, the the British version, I guess. But um, but yeah, it's like they've taken two very different paths in their life, and that's set up here, but definitely more explored in the second one. And we get, yeah, we get, especially early on in the very first, I would say, 10 minutes of the second one, you kind of don't know the premise. You know where Newt's coming from on everything, but uh, especially after his book is published, but you get a more build of how straight-laced um, his brother is um, compared to kind of where Newt's coming from. So it's, it's very much on there. Um, you know, once apparently um, the the uh, Congress doesn't see the same thing as Newt does, so they um, basically confiscate his suitcase confiscate right. the ones, um, imprison them. Um, they are uh, then taken away by Graves and uh, questioned. Um, and Newt is being questioned by Graves. Uh, this is a very important interaction um, in the film, especially for the, the reveal at the very end, that um, the way, the way what's Newt saying, what Graves is saying, and back and forth, and that Newt says something about the greater good and that he's not one of, um, you know, Grindelwald's fanatics. And it's the way that, that Colin Farrell plays it and his, you know, facial interactions of what he says, you know, and, and of course mentions, you know, why would, you know, you were expelled from Hogwarts for an incident. Why would Dumbledore stick up for you? Um, you know, obviously name drop, but it's very important play into the second movie, uh, as that would go. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we, we learned that, um, you know, obviously someone's hiding something, uh, probably not Newt because we know a lot more of his backstory. Uh, but we know that Graves is a real shady character. There's something not right about this ministry official that, um, that not everything is as it seems. Well, and, uh, and he's and so severe, right? Very severe right away. He sentenced both of them to death. Yeah, he which says, is crazy. I mean, yeah, that's ridiculous. You'll be the one to... <laughs> 
yeah, right away like that, like like okay, you compromised everything. You you brought he basically accused Newt of bringing these into New York City to unravel the Wizarding World to cause a war, uh, and that you'll learn you'll learn why he's making these accusations later. Um, that um, and then sentence them both to death immediately, and that he'll tell uh, Madam you know uh, Madam Pickery himself. So like he's like doesn't give anyone a second opinion of right because they would say you know, no to that. <laughs> yeah, they would say no. Like you can't just like assign them to death. It's got to be like we've got to have a hearing over this. Like there's still you know some sort of judicial system even in the even in the magical world. You know. Mm-hmm. So that was a very interesting scene uh, that you know didn't really notice in the beginning how how rushed he made that judgment and why and then you kind of learn why later on. Um, and I always had a weird thing about this when the executioners were first taking, they were taking Newt and Tina um, to the room. And why were they all wearing white? I didn't understand that. Um, it was very I weird. Guess it's for, like they're like doctors or something. Like I it felt like, like the electric chair for, almost. <laughs> yeah, because they're apparently that's their job is they're assigned to basically kill people. What, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's some kind of, okay, so it's basically a room and there's like water. And it, it's basically they pull the, these executioners, so to speak, pull like a pensive, mm-hmm. so to speak, out of their mind. Like you would see uh, Dumbledore pulling the pensive into the, 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 you know, or the thoughts, I guess you would say, or memories into the pensive in such a manner. And that's what kind of would draw the person to want to get in. Yeah. Um, that would be otherwise against their own free will. Um, like so a good memory much, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Very much a throw to the reference of the pensive itself. Uh, for Dumbledore and of course you know Snape and and uh, all that uh, in the uh, the later uh, Harry Potter series, so um, they they do Tina first and uh, you know we, we get very much close to it and we we start to learn a little bit that there's something in Tina's head about the uh, the the second Salem lady and and um, clean cream spirit uh, bare uh, bare bones, so um, all of a sudden you know we've got Newt, uh, you see Pickett uh, who um, is. Uh, you know, he's he's picking the lock. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, because they mentioned that earlier that they pick locks when the uh, or maybe they mention it. Th- yeah, they like, mentioned it in that bar scene with Ron. Yeah, Perlman. yeah. Uh, yeah he'll 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 kind of touch on it now that you kind of know like that they do that. And then, of course, um, uh, the uh, swooping evil um, Newt had in his pocket, too. So he's able to use the swooping evil to knock out two of the guards. Um, knock down one of the other ones. Um, and then, uh, so all the guards are out basically. Uh, and Tina's still trapped on the chair and like, it's, it's kind of like this black mask coming up. I guess yeah, that's like how it does consume it. Consume her, it, I it guess maybe. Under. Yeah. It's like the chair and just takes, takes him down or something. It's weird. Um, so then, uh, basically trust Newt into jumping onto the swooping evil. He'll catch her. And then we have the great escape, um, out of the ministry. Um, because when, uh, Tina was, conf- uh, conf- uh, find a death that, um, um, of course, with Queenie being a legitimate, she felt it right away. Um, and she knew something was wrong. So she goes, she basically, a cute little scene about, um, she basically takes the guard that was going to obliviate um, Jacob and blackmails him into mm-hmm. saying that, tell your wife that you're having an affair which, with this lady if you don't let me take him, which is yeah, just weird. Which is kind <laughs> of strange because it's like, if she, if they all know she can do that, I mean, there seems like there would be some would guidelines. Best, yeah, yeah, why would you do anything around her or, or be like that if, like, I don't know how many people knew she was legitimate, but wouldn't you have to register something like right. that? It you, seems like there would be her? a lot of rules about it. <laughs> That's a lot of power for, like, one person, mm-hmm. even the wizarding world, that has that kind of, that is not only a wizard with wizarding powers and spells, 
but also can read minds at the same time. Yeah, and is kind of an empath too. They mentioned, you know, she doesn't yeah. just read their mind; she can she can play off their emotions. So it's like which she's is, uh, reading their mind and also interpreting how they feel. Which is very important for her role in the second movie, right? Uh, that that plays a, the empath area of her um, kind of psychology plays a huge role in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the great escape and we've got uh, her getting Jacob and, and them getting the suitcase and the wands and then them, them finding, um, you know, Newt and Tina uh, who are using the swooping evil because they don't have their wands to basically escape and get loose. Um, and uh, basically it tackles two guards and Newt has to stop it and say, don't, don't know, don't eat his brains. You know, we have to go. Um, and so <laughs> they, they keep going and they meet up and, and basically, um, you know, Queenie's like, get in. So she had a great idea of storing them in the suitcase uh, yep. to get out of the Good building uh, alone, which is a, a wonderful idea. And basically she, she gets stopped and says, oh, you know, I'm sick again. And these are my lady undergarments, you know, which is very taboo. It's and, very uh, and, and it's very playing off of, you know, she's obviously inspiring this performance from Marilyn Monroe. Right. And yeah. Marilyn in a lot of her roles would play this bombshell that is smarter than she quote unquote looks and so she was always saying innocent cute little things but a lot of times they were it was like kind of subversive where it's like i know this is how i'm gonna get from a to b because you think i'm dumb so i'm gonna get away with this and yeah gentlemen prefer blondes and uh yeah uh diamonds i forget the diamonds movie yeah she uh very very much in that kind of marilyn Monroe esque Mm -hmm. uh you know especially for that time frame um so uh they they get away obviously and uh um then we have this interchange between um you know credence and and graves about the uh about the obscurus and and finding the child which at this time graves doesn't know uh, the big reveal and And he gives them this yeah, he's Go always ahead. so uh, predatory, don't you think? Like, it's he very creepy because he he's very so much older. Yeah, touching he's, he's his just, head and it's like a very like a over not really an overbearing father figure, but just kind of yeah, it is very kind of creepy. Yeah, um, it's unsettling. Kind of watching sure. it again to, to to really yeah, I think I agree with you now. Uh, it's um, very like too much. Yeah, um, like like and, he's taking advantage of his loneliness and yeah. inability to connect with people, and so he's giving him like that closeness, and you can just tell you're like uh, something about this is not good, you know, yeah, right away. Yeah. yeah, and then but the big reveal that we get in this scene is the necklace that he gives him and says, "Touch this when you found the child." Is the Deathly Hollows? That's right. Um, yeah. So now get an introduction and a throwback to the beginning of the Deathly Hollows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the resurrection stone, the elder wand and the invisibility cloak. Um, uh, so yeah, that, that was a big, uh, a big thing in the theater, um, was, was if you happen to notice it in time, um, that, uh, you know, that was very cool to have that, uh, and the origins of that. So, um, because then in the second movie we get to meet Nicholas Flamel and right. learn a lot more about, um, the beginnings of the Deathly Hollows and such. Uh, then we get our, our wonderful speakeasy scene, uh, because they're trying to, they're basically just talking about, um, who might know where, you know, this, this Dougal is and, and the Stimmy guys and who might know. And she talks about this informant. So they go to this, um, what, you know, was basically a speakeasy for wizards, um, and you've got all kinds of cool stuff going on with this singer and, and you've got like trolls and you've got like house elves and, um, and, and stuff like that going on. And then, you know, you got this funny exchange with Jacob at the bar and he, um, you know, he, he, he's trying to you know, like fit in. <laughs> he's trying to fit in. He goes, uh, haven't you ever seen a half elf before? Go, oh yeah. My uncle's a half elf, 
house elf. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, that she comes up and orders uh, six gigawatts and a load blaster. And, uh, you know, you got this great scene about, um, you know, I've never met a, uh, our own nomads like you. Uh, he goes, no, there's not, not another one like me. And then, you know, shoots his giggle water and uh, has one of his infamous laughs. Um, mm-hmm. it's one of the best scenes, probably one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. I rewind it every time, like three times <laughs> because he has one of the best giggles I've ever heard in my life. Um, so yeah, the giggle water is, is amazing. Uh, and then you have this exchange with, um, a CGI kind of house, house elf being voiced by the wonderful Ron Perlman. Um, mm-hmm. who I've had the, uh, the wonderful pleasure of uh, meeting, interacting with, uh, having, you know, answering, uh, asking questions at a panel. I'm a big fan of his all the way back to, you know, before Hellboy, you had the voice acting, you had uh, beauty and the beast back in the day. Yeah, you had yeah. uh, Clay Morrow. So very, very, very recognizable voice, very recognizable voice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew it right away being a big fan of his. So I was very, uh, very impressed that, that they got, you know, such a, you know, pro pronounced voice. Well, it's um, kind of like a lot of this being in America now, it opens up, you know, opportunities for some other actors that maybe would fit that vibe more, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, you've got this, um, this interchange at the table with um, him basically bribing Newt for, uh, information and Newt's trying to do money and he's trying to do a lunoscope and he's trying to do a frozen ash, uh, ash winder egg, which I haven't looked up yet. I was wanting to know what, what exactly that grew into. Um, and, um, then you have, uh, he spots his, his bow truckle and right. he says, bow truckles, you know, pick locks, you know, obviously he's going to use it for a devious, uh, reason and not like, you know, Newt actually cares for it. And Newt is very, very, if you watch him, he's very reluctant to pull, the well, you know, pick it away from him yeah and then it. when he gives it to him he like wipes tears away i didn't notice that yeah. last time i, I saw that tonight again and i noticed a couple of views ago and he does he he kind of he has his head down a little bit and he's kind of wiping tears out of the corner of his eyes as he lets him go and but you don't see him say anything you know what i mean like it's it's very, it's very subtle it's very yeah. subtle it's very nonverbal. you have to really watch the characters and their interactions mm-hmm. uh but basically, uh, Narlax sold them out and told Makuza where they are. Right. So now you have this this big action scene, and now you've got uh, Aura's, uh, you know, uh, operating into the speakeasy and starting to arrest people, and you know everyone's scrambling. And then Jacob gets up and he goes, "Mr. Narlax," and he punches him, and of course, you know, knocks him to the ground. And the other guy reminds me of my foreman. Um, and so <laughs> you know, they get they get pick it back, and uh, um, you know, everybody's scrambling to try to get out of there, and. and um, you know, thankfully they're able to escape and, and, uh, you know, so they get, um, they get, uh, into the suitcase and, and then you learn in a, in a scene before that, in between the speakeasy and the suitcase that you've got the, um, the Demi guys is hanging out basically at Macy's, uh, that you learn from, from Narlac. Uh, it's, uh, just hanging around Macy's for some reason. But the reason is, is that you've got a Akami up in the attic, I guess you could call it attic. Um, and it, uh, that you learn either grows to a certain size or shrinks to a certain size. And this grew to the size of an attic of a giant Macy's building. So it's humongous at this point. <laughs> um, so you have this wonderful exchange of them and the suitcase together, which leads to, I think what we talked about earlier, a deleted scene in which she's talking about Lita Lestrange and you need a giver, not a taker. She was a taker. And, um, you know, she goes, uh, the, the deleted scene is basically where she, um, Queenie basically sings the Ilva Morney, uh, school song 
and <laughs> Tina jumps in and joins in for a verse or two. It's it's just adorable. Um, and uh, I, I wish they would have kept it in the movie. It it just it would have it would have gone so wonderfully because it went right to where you know the next scene where it should have gone. Um, but I think it would have just gone great for the particular mood of the scene yeah. right then. Because at the end, you know, all the animals are clapping for the two girls singing. And I'm going to oh, try. Cute. I'm going to try if I can remember. Or bear with me. I, I won't sing it, sing it. But, okay. Ilva morning, Massachusetts. We two chooses. We two chooses. The wizard school supreme. Days are you. One so days. Something about days are you. Wonderful. The nights with you dream. Um, I can't remember the rest of it. I, I was singing it to myself today, prepping for the... Uh, the the podcast and I should have wrote it down because it's <laughs> it's an adorable song something about um the good witch Morgan um from common common wandless men uh so she fled from distant Ireland and so our school began so the origin is the founder fled from Ireland uh to America started it in around Salem I'm guessing after the witch trials um and so now you have Ilbomorty which is obviously expanded now more on the um, Wizarding World uh, website. Tells you more about Ilvamorty and the four four classes, much like Hogwarts. You've got four classes there, um, so it's adorable to learn a little bit about uh, Queenie and Tina's backstory with their school because we know so much about uh, Hogwarts and and obviously with Newt. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, that was the awesome scene. Um, then uh, you have the the Thunderbird. All of a sudden, is Frankie the Thunderbird's getting upset? Something's going on that there's a, a grave danger. So now we've got um, this big reveal scene with with Credence and, and Graves trying to find what they think is is uh, Credence's uh, sister. Apparently, Graves think that's the Obscurus. That's the thing that's causing all the trouble. And we get into this old apartment where they think she is, and um, we get this confrontation. And, and basically, he says. You know, Credence, you're a squib, um, and anybody that knows the Wizarding World knows that's not a very good term to use, uh, much like saying mudblood. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he basically says, um, you know, you, you you the best you can get out of this is your, mo- your mother is dead um, kind right. of thing. Yeah. So it's very, ouch. Um, he basically abandoned him at that point because yeah, he didn't get like in a snap. Mm-hmm. In a snap because he didn't basically feed his need and give him what he came for. Um, Graves dropped him like a bad habit, and we then learn a scene or two later that it was um, the Obscurus all along was tied inside of Credence. Mm-hmm. He was the thing that was causing all the trouble, and then Graves tries to apologize and, and say that he underestimated him, and, and then you know uh, Credence just tears out of there at that point and causing starts causing all kinds of any just as, it's a great special effects this giant kind of angry black mass just tearing through New York City, mm-hmm. um, tearing up towards the, the subway station. Um, you know, and the one thing I noticed is I don't know how good uh, the Makuza employees get paid, but they're all very snappy dressers. All of them <laughs> dress extremely well. All the way yeah. down, out of Hickory down, they have extremely very good taste in clothes and a very good keen sense of fashion. I feel like um, they're the elite, right? Like you get that they are same top of the wizard food chain in America. Yeah, and it, it was kind of uh, like that in in uh, over in uh, you know the Hogwarts land, whatever you call. I guess London. I think uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think other than the Ministry of Magic, I think with the exception of like Arthur um, uh, Weasley, uh, Bronze Dad Weasley, Bronze, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that very family, you know, um, they they were very you know kind of homegrown with with their clothing and stuff, but. 
everybody else, even Shacklebolt and stuff, had a very good sense of. Yeah, uh, it feels like they're you know they're government, and so therefore yeah. they're kind of at the top and in charge of everything, and a little bit clueless as to what's actually going on. It <laughs> a yeah. lot of times. So I mean, obviously, um, with this one, we we see some kind of very cool map that that Madame Pickery is is um, drawing to their attention that the kind of the direction in which the the Obscurus is running across New York, causing havoc. And she says, "We need to stop this, or we'll be unveiled." Um, here here we lead to the the big finale scene. Uh, the battle inside the um, was like an old. Uh, it's a subway station, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1920s. Yeah. Um, we have the interchange back and forth between. The um, Obscurus in its purest form, uh, Credence trying to, um, or sorry, Graves trying to talk it down uh, to his benefit. Um, right. And then Tina and Newt trying to get in there and um, talk it down to back to the Credence um, form um, himself. Um, and after the battle back and forth and, and then the ministry, you know, then the Makuza shows up and, and um, you know, they basically uh, sort of kind of like, shoot all their wands at, at Credence, and then it, it kind of goes everywhere. You don't mm-hmm. really know kind of what happened. It just kind of vaporizes, so to speak. Yeah, um, it seems like it kills him at that and point. And then um, you basically have uh, Graves turn on the Makuza at that point and start fighting them mm-hmm. until um, you've got help with Swooping Evil and Newt uh, be able to... Um, now, she doesn't, um, she doesn't do... Uh, Tina doesn't... Um, uh, what is it when I can't, I've gone blank now when they, they take the other's wand. Um, Accusio or? Accio is the wand, but she doesn't, um, oh, no, I can't think of it. No, no, I'm gone blank. Um, but yeah, the spell where they basically can, can knock the wand out of their hand, take ownership mm. of it. She basically just Accio's wand after Newt is able to secure his hands. That's so they're right, able yeah. to lock him down. And Newt knew something all along. He knew something wasn't right with Graves. And he knew something in that conversation and the interrogation that something wasn't right. Yeah. And so he, the first time you ever get to see Revelio in this movie, um, that's actually, uh, strangely enough, is, is um, uh, mentioned in one of the textbooks later on in the spells book in Charms class, is oh, really? that Revelio was first used to unveil uh, Gilbert Grindelwald's actual um, identity. Uh, mm. In 1926, oh, okay, so strictly, okay. that she kept that whole realm of wow. how he actually revealed them. I and she's very meticulous on her details. She really very is. Meticulous. Um, so then we learn that Graves is not really Graves. Graves is actually uh, Gellert Grindelwald, uh, which is played by Johnny Depp. Uh, the white hair, which was very similar to Graves' cut and all that. And then the one uh, regular eye and the one white eye. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they basically, this is a the guy they've been looking for the entire time that for some, you know, like steroid-induced uh, polyjuice potion has been, you know, going around as graves for probably years. Uh, right. It's the reason why they couldn't catch, um, you know, Grindelwald to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we, we get uh, a touch of Accio in that scene. We get a touch of Revelio. Um, and then, uh, you know, they basically, the, after they, you know, have taken him away, which will lead into the first scene of the second movie, you've got, um, you know, the the... Makuza thanking Newt, and uh, now you've got all these uh, muggles and nomads that have seen this crazy stuff going on around them. And so then he, he basically says, well, I've got this Thunderbird that has these um, obligatory uh, powers in its venom, and that I think I can you know muster up something that can help. So basically, unfortunately for Newt, he has to let uh, Frankie go into the wild instead of 
taking him to Arizona where he wanted to. Uh, he lets him go out in the wild, but not before he's able to kind of give him a vial of this stuff to uh, basically generate a thunderstorm and come down as rain, you know? Mm-hmm. And it uh, comes down as rain and basically obliviates a, a obliviates all of the, the nomads on all of New York City that are exposed to water or have been exposed to what they saw. Um, and so... Uh, while they're doing that, while the rain's falling, you've got the oars uh, repairing all the damage around the city, which is just an amazing scene. Yeah, uh, I really uh, like top, that scene, too. And they were, like, on top of this giant construction site and, you know, on top of all the skyscrapers and, and the apartment buildings and putting all the stuff back together. One of the cool scenes is them going by the newspapers, and they kind of wipe the newspaper into a completely different subject, um, which begs to differ. I saw I saw nomads with actual cameras taking pictures when all this was going down. So how did those pictures not get developed into being what they actually are? That's a good question. That, yeah, that's one of the, the like if I did a podcast on this, it'd be like there's a lot of little questions here and there. Um, so yeah, so now you've got all the uh, now you've got all the nomads obliviated. Um, then they also say, don't you know? Is that nomad still with you? Um, you yeah, because once to again need- they protected him again. Yeah. So he's been protected not only by Newt at this point, but by all three of them at this point being drawn in closer to them with like yeah, family. He's in the inner circle. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, this beautiful scene as they're coming out of the uh, the the subway, and oh, it's already I cried the first time. I know. I, I I cried tonight watching it again, and and he tries to go forward very quickly and get it over with, and Tina yeah. holds him. I don't know if you see it, but Tina holds him. Not Tina, sorry, Queenie. Queenie holds him and doesn't let him go yet. And, and they have this exchange about, you know, well, I, I never was supposed to be here. I wasn't supposed to be part of this. And why did you keep me around, Newt? And, he, you know, he's because he's, because I like you and you're my friend oh, um, so coming touching. from an outsider you know, that, that never really had friends and and couldn't really relate to anyone that the, he found this soulmate of a friend in, in, in this muggle world that, uh, you know, and then you have him step out in, in the rain. You know, it's just like waking up, isn't it? And, and he steps out in the rain before he does, you know. Uh, Queenie comes out and, and, you know, kisses him. And, and then the next thing you know, um, you know, they obviously obliviate or they, um, they apparate out of there. And, uh, Jacob is just, you know, kind of standing there, obviously back to his senses now wondering, you know, why he's standing out there in the rain. Um, and, you know, it kind of walks off and, um, then you have a little bit of a, a, a time lapse and, uh, uh, Jacob is, is coming out of work one day uh, from the canning factory and has a, a still has some identical suitcase to Newt, which is just strange. I wondered <laughs> why do you have a suitcase that big to go go to work? I mean, you're, you're like you're like one of the blue collar people. Do you your think lunches. he just carries his bakery stuff on him at all times? I just hoping just to, like sell to his coworkers or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like, he's he still trying. Like, you know, I guess he's still trying, but. Um, so the stranger bumps into him and he goes, hey, you know, and obviously you can tell uh, walking off that it's Newt, but obviously right. Jacob doesn't know that. And it's a very, very, very heavy suitcase at this point. So, um, you know, there's a card in there uh, from a no-name person that says, you know, use these um, shells of silver to uh, as your deposit for your bakery, the bakery that he wanted to open from the very beginning. Um, and uh, so then the next scene you have is, is – um, one of the final scenes is one of the most touching scenes in the movie is, is Newt and uh, Tina at the dock. And um, mm-hmm. he's getting ready to, to go back to England to publish his manuscripts. And, um, you know, he says, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I'll, there'll be no more, you know, no more uh, fuss for me. And, and uh, you know, she, she goes, I'll be very looking forward to read it. The fantastic beast and where to find them. And, 
And um, so she gives him the know, title too. She's yeah. on the title, and he takes inspiration from that. You know, obviously, you learn later with the 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 feelings involved in the relationship, and um, and uh, you know, he he kind of he leaves, and then he comes back. But the the cutest thing, one of the cutest things he did was he he t- he kind of tucked her ear or hair behind her ear. Yeah, it's very and subtle. He went off and and before he comes back to talk about his book real quick, she kind of puts her hand up where his hand was and kind of touches it. Um, and uh, it's it's just an adorable scene. And um, then he kind of walks off and walks back and goes, what if I gave you my your copy in person? And she just her whole face lights up at that point. Um, and uh, you know, then there, there's another cute scene where he gets on the he gets on the loading dock for the boat and he stops halfway up like he's going to come back to her. And then he, he goes, no, no, you know, and kind of puts his head down and, and gets on the boat. And uh, there, there's two things that are very important here between the sisters in these last scenes. When when Tina walks off, she kind of has this hop at her step as she's walking, um, walking towards uh, away from the boat. And mm-hmm. um, then we get to the bakery scene. We learn that Jacob's opened his bakery and it's doing extremely well. And there's lots of people. And then you start seeing all the pastries. Yeah, look, I very, love the pastries. Very I, they, they look so things. yummy. <laughs> yeah, and they're very much like icing and all kinds of stuff, and they very much look like a lot of these animals that that we knew. And mm-hmm. um, you know, how in the world would he remember? Um, and uh, someone asked him, you know, how, how where's your inspiration come from? I don't know. It just you know, it just comes to me. Um, and you know, he, he talks to his helper, and then he turns around, and there's this this beautiful um, blonde in there uh, that that's you know somehow familiar to him and she comes up and doesn't say a word doesn't say a word it's very much the chemistry between them and um you know just looks at him and smiles and she has this kind of like hop uh that she does that's that very much resembles her sister in the previous scene he kind of reaches back and touches the 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 bite and then then starts to grin like i know you from somewhere and it's it's probably one of the best closing scenes i've ever seen especially for that sort of universe yeah that it Left it open, but it very much showed this amazing chemistry between each set of actors, and this very much would be could be romance mm-hmm. that may develop out of all this. Is I think that's that's one of the cutest things, especially that that bakery scene uh, between those two. That was just just amazing. Yeah. So my husband had a theory when we were watching it last night. He was like, "Do you think that when she kissed him, she cast some kind of like spell so that like." They obliviated him, but he weirdly still remembered some of it. I think um, after watching the second one a couple of times, and, and she did wind up actually putting, because Newt had to break it, she put a kind of like a, put him in a trance, a love trance. Oh, yeah, that's a, right. But what happened was I think that he wanted to be a part of that world so badly and was so entranced by it that his mm-hmm. mind wouldn't let him forget. Ah, Is that okay. He, just had it in the back of his mind. He remembered it. It wouldn't. It, it wouldn't leave him. He wanted to be a part of it so much that he just like held on to it. And he didn't yeah. know where it came from. He didn't know where these images of these these little bakery bakery things that he made. But somehow he knew it. And and then when he knew her, he knew something about this bite or this little thing on his neck or where it came. And all of a sudden he felt this connection with this lady that was standing in front of him, this, you know, this beautiful young lady. And, um, it, it's just an amazing scene. Uh, that, and, and the, the thing I took me a couple of notices before I noticed the two girls that, you know, where they both did the hop walking away from. Yeah. Or walking I like that. To, I did notice that, uh, but you're so right. Yeah. That's a good touch. Uh, 
you know, it's adorable uh, just kind of writing, I guess, in that, in that particular area of the script uh, to really tie those, you know, them. It, as, it shows as, they're related. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's just, a, it's, it's, I think with him touching her, that was so adorable when he touched her face, uh, touched her hair, and then she kind of put her hand up there where his hand was. Mm-hmm. Um, you could kind of tell that, that, you know, you wanted so badly something to develop. And, and, you know, of course, you know, it expands more in the second movie. Sure. And obviously, obviously anybody that, that read the bio of, of Newt's commander knows that, you know, he, you know, was retired at, you know, in a area of England with his wife, poor Patina, which is actually Tina's full name. Uh, oh, and of course they, okay. have, yeah, they, they, uh, they go on to have many children and grandchildren, one of the grandchildren of which or great grandchildren, maybe in the timeline marries Luna Lovegood. Um, wow. so okay. one knows from, uh, Harry Potter and, um, uh, you know, in that timeline. So we very much have it all kind of tied together in, in so many ways, um, whether it be villainous or whether it be just timeline of, yeah. of, uh, heredity, it all comes together, um. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, Crime to Grindelwald is a whole nother um, whole nother film. I wasn't I wasn't like as much as I love Newt, as much as I love Newt, and as much as I love J.K. I wasn't the greatest a fan of that movie. Um, yeah, I think that I think that one threw a lot of people off. I yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I think it's just the what they did with the Credence uh, barebone story um, right. kind of upset a lot of people as far as what we would call canon. Mm-hmm. Which is basically everything within the J.K. Rowling universe that is supposed to be within that universe. It's not just made up. Um, right. You know, it's not like made up on the fly. She like yeah. mapped it all out. I mean, that's how yeah, she did the Harry out. Potter series. Yeah, this and that's why she had so many things come back up in this movie. Like you mentioned, they were purposeful. Um, so yeah. So yeah, she had things written a certain way, and I think I think. Um, you know, that, that's a whole other in itself. So this one in its purest form for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, I, I don't, I didn't mind uh, them having the same director as the last three, Harry Potter. I think that they had the swing in the budget for a lot of this CG that they needed, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with the animals and with the special effects of the Obscurus. Uh, it's always been one of my favorite movies. Uh, I think it's, tonight probably was viewing number 11 or 12, I wow. think. Um it has um, expanded into my cosplay world. It has actually uh, influenced uh, my Instagram of Hufflepuff.cosplay, um, partially because that's my house anyways, and that's partially why I... Oh, really? I... So you were already sorted into the house? Before yeah, this so I, I was sorted nice. into... That's what drew me to Newt anyways with Hufflepuff, uh-huh. but um, and just him being so good with animals and, and, and kind of just like social anxiety and stuff, you know, and there's, there's so much of him, but my whole collection of collectibles, uh, as far as the, the Harry Potter world revolves around fantastic beasts. And, um, oh, I was very awesome. lucky. I very lucky to have, a, a you know, Dan Fogler autograph, my Jacob, uh, pop and, and, uh, Alison Sadol, uh, autograph my Queenie pop. Oh, and great. I have, I must have, I think, um, 10 different variations of newt, maybe a dozen, uh, all different kinds from both movies. I've got a lot of Fantastic Beasts from both movies. I, I do have a Demigeist, uh, two different kind. Um, I've got a Picket. Uh, I've got some, uh, some you know, uh, Nifflers and stuff. So it's um, it's very much a, a world for me that, that it's just, it's fascinating. Not only the 1920s, but just what she wrote, how she created um, and expanded from what we knew of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And, and Hogwarts and, you know, just the characters that we knew and loved during that, that, you know, series 
but took things that were only mentioned in a book or two or what started out as a textbook for, you know, the students that expanded into the story right. of a character that, that touched so many lives, good or bad, um, that expanded into what became the predecessor for Voldemort in, in Grindelwald mm-hmm. and how it became a terror in the wizarding world, what we knew of you know, storytelling from, from Dumbledore and such and how influ- influential in Dumbledore's life, good or bad, that, that Grindelwald was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how the actors of all these movies kind of cross over and done other projects together uh, in, in completely unrelated movies. And, and uh, you know, it's funny. I saw once Johnny Depp got introduced into this podcast or it's podcast into this movie. Uh, he has actually had been in, um, the uh, Sweeney Todd, the, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, with Alan Rickman and um, uh, Timothy Spall, who played um, uh, he played uh, the one that uh, was was the rat and uh, oh Peter uh, Pettigrew. Pettigrew, he mm-hmm. played Pettigrew. There was also That's um, right, yeah. Bellatrix Strange was in there. She was she was um, absolutely in the bakery. Um, All British greats, right? Like uh, British royalty in terms of. Yeah. Uh, film and yeah. you had um, a lot of big names a lot of big names the young kid in there the young sailor who met sweeney todd is actually the younger version of um grindelwald in the flashback scene oh really flashback okay second movie and in the in the original and in the flashback of the second movie with a young dumbledore that's that's the same actor so it's very interesting oh. how a lot of this universe of actors crosses over much like this universe itself and a fictional setting crosses over um, that they've all worked together in some extent or some degree of separation from each other, um, you know, within this realm of things. And it's, it's, I can't wait to see where they're going to go with it. I hope that there's a lot of rewrites going into this third movie mm-hmm. that it doesn't um, go. I don't want to say go off the rails like the second one did, but I wanted to keep it more, um, focused like the first movie did where you had new i agree i think that they were worried that he couldn't carry it the way because he's so different from harry potter i mean harry potter is you know a lot more self-assured he's got a stronger personality he's humble like newt but he's just so different and i think people were I, i think maybe the studios were concerned that this newt character couldn't carry all these movies but i think that they're wrong i think he really can and i i would like to see him take more centered stage in the in the third one as well you know i agree i think that um you know one of the things i looked up is and i didn't look up the second movie because it didn't do as well but your your opening um with with fantastic beasts is, is you had uh it was 180 million dollar budget when it mm-hmm. first when it, when it first got made worldwide by the time it got done worldwide with the once it picked up speed and of course the the relevancy in the wizarding world it made 815 million dollars worldwide wow, in the theaters wow, wow, before wow. it came to dvd and then that's you know before you know dvd fandom and everything else but you're making four times as much budget off a very big budget for a movie like that not only for you know you had a couple of actors that were already had were namesakes in the marketplace like mm-hmm. colin farrell and, and and johnny depp and, and john voight but sure. they, they all had small roles but you know that's a me- that's a mediocre budget for a big name movie um, within the within the Wizarding world, you know, right, especially right. for what some later Harry Potter movies went for uh, that were kind of all over the place in shooting locations and that sort of thing. Um, 
so yeah, that's pretty impressive. It, it almost, um, you know, over $800 million worldwide, uh, by the time he got done, um, mm-hmm. in the theatrical run, which is most for most movies, you know, three, four months, um, you know, at best. Uh, so yeah, I think that if they, if they, hopefully if they don't underestimate the rest of the series yeah, and let it, let it, let it have, let her have all the creative control, write it the way she wants to write or needs to write it and go from there. I think that, that, those actors can carry it. I think that they've proven that they, they can have the ensemble to, to carry it. And if they have the right kind of, there's so many fantastic people we can explore now that we heard about them being in South America and Rio de Janeiro. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one that there's, there's so much you can do down there. Um, right, the right. shooting locations alone would be fantastic. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, if you have something like carnival, or something like that. Maybe some scenes going on with Carnival and stuff there. Um, this is different than than perhaps some of the uh, podcasts that I've listened to before with some of the movies and some of your guests that they've been kind of a one-off movie. You know, um, it's, it hasn't really ever been part of a series per se, unless you're talking about something you know like The Godfather or Star you know something Wars, that was you know, something like that. Yeah, something that's already kind of had uh, a cult following, especially with your Star Trek guests and your Star Trek movies right. and your Star Trek uh-huh. Star Wars had that kind of fandom going on so no one really know what to expect in the early days of this wizarding world and we got this whole other world presented to us um and you know it's it's just i i took on this fandom like i never thought i would and i was already a harry potter fan anyways and and loved the the movies and the books but this fantastic beast just took on a whole nother so to speak beast of its own um in in the fandom in in when you have, it takes a lot to inspire a cosplay for me to want to dive in as deep as I did with this. Because when I did the first version of Newt um, with the blue coat, I had a small suitcase, very small suitcase, um, on a budget. And then I found this amazing replica suitcase that was, you know, the size of a normal suitcase. Um, and when I first got it, it had identical old 1920s locks on it uh, that would pop open. And the interior was this beautiful Newt Scamander kind of. Uh, canvas interior um and so i was heartbroken when the lock broke and now i can't get the suitcase open uh without damaging it i'm so heartbroken um because it's a beautiful suitcase it really is and it gets so many um you know comments and stuff when i when i uh cosplay sure. um just on the suitcase alone because the front of it is embossed with the newt's commander emblem wow that's on his it's got like a embedded in the in the leather like that that in and that s overlaid on each other it's beautiful and um uh i can't even remember where i got it from to this day but uh it's one of the best things i have in all my all my cosplays and i i love doing it um uh, uh more so when it's cooler weather because oh, of, of course the, it gets very hot down here in texas <laughs> very, very hot uh, at the shows um and sometimes you get good air conditioner like at leaky con it went over really well um, especially when grindelwald uh, crimes of grindelwald came out and sure. i had the gray jacket and stuff um and that whole upgrade uh, got a lot of attention. Um, but I really like um, that uh, places like Barnes & Noble still have a very devout following, even years after the books were released. Um, very devout following to, to J.K. and um, to Harry Potter that they have sections and sections of not just like plush toys and pops, but like the books themselves. And now they have like kids' illustrated versions of the books and oh, the cool. young you – know, 
adult versions and pop-up books, you know, and they've got like, now they've got stuff for the fantastic beast world with those kind of books. And you've got, you know, all kinds of, um, you know, toys and stuff. And, uh, you can even get your chocolate frogs and your burning, uh, you know, all flavor beans and stuff there, which I've tried those before at wizarding world and I've caught some bad flavors. So I can see what Harry was talking about. Oh uh, yeah, I know. Some... I don't like eating them. It's just too, there's some of them are so gross. Yeah. Uh, but it got <laughs> it's a bit much. Uh, that's one thing I miss is the wonderful candy um, that the Wizarding World provides. That, that, oh, yeah. Uh, and just, Zooks, you know, the stuff. Is that uh, what it's called? Uh, Zooks, yeah. yeah you've got uh, yeah. that one. And you've got, of course, the, the, the prank shop and stuff mm -hmm. with Fred and George mm -hmm. um, and later George. Um, that uh, It's just the magical world that I don't ever want to be a part of. And I, I, I kick myself that it took so long to get into it. Um, it was, uh, like I said, I saw this movie in the theater. Of course that was 2016. Uh, I saw the Harry Potter movies. I think all of them in the theaters mm -hmm. at first. Um, I, I had read some of the books and then kind of slacked off. And then now I'm actually going all through the books on, uh, audible.com. And yeah. so, uh, I'm actually getting a wonderful read, um, in my spare time over the books and, and forgot how immersive, um, the books were and, and how they, she kept so much attention to detail, like we talked about in the podcast. So much attention to detail. There's so many little things in these books um, that were either throwbacks or foreshadowing to something else. Mm -hmm. uh, much like we talked about the foreshadowing with the alchemy eggs and how they were going to play a role in, in Jacob, you know, finding his happy place with with his uh, his bakery and stuff. And it's just this this Wizarding World and, and J.K. Rowling has just brought something bright and wonderful into so many people's lives. Um, I think this is one of the movies that really uh, holds up, um, both with, you know, it's, it's only four years old, but with special effects and just the chemistry. Um, yeah. I think that the actors alone in it were, were just very, very talented, very well cast. I agree. I think that uh, she's so good at relationships. You know, I've, I've heard some people that are not huge Harry Potter fans. They'll say things like, well, you know, why in Harry Potter don't they pull the wands out more why aren't they fighting more like they kind of want it to be more of like an action adventure yeah. which to me there's plenty of action but i guess i'm not the kind of person that puts that above character and story you know so i think these these uh the books and the movies they're very character driven and this movie is no exception um the most interesting part I mean, the, the Fantastic Beasts are awesome, um, and the whole world is great, but the connections between the characters are what really draw me in. You know, Newt himself uh, really draws me in. The second that I saw the movie, I was like, oh, I have to have a Newt Scamander costume. I felt the yeah. same way, and it took me a couple of years to get it together, but um, I, love, I love it because, actually, you know, you mentioned your Hufflepuff. I'm Slytherin. Um, yeah, I, I don't know a whole lot off. of Slytherins. Um, <laughs> I think my nephew is Slytherin. Uh, I've I've had friends who are a lot of a lot of Hufflepuff friends, which just seems to be yeah, a lot of us. It seems um, like there's I've, a lot of Hufflepuffs. Um, I do come across Ravenclaws every now and again. My husband's Ravenclaw, um, and and like a lot of my friends are Ravenclaw. I'm the only Slytherin. Well, now I have some I have some more Slytherin friends actually. Now that I'm thinking about, it. but um, I always get picked on. I'm like. They're like, you're the evil one. And I'm like, I know. Yeah, it's, no, it's always just a bad rap. <laughs> I mean, it's not, yeah, you've had a lot of dark wizards come from that. that hey, we're uh, driven, we're that, ambitious, you know, okay? But, like, you know, you've had a lot of, you know, they just got a, they got a bad rap, you know, because Yeah, of, exactly. You know, we're and, just and, misunderstood. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, just misunderstood because you've had a, you know, a couple of bad eggs like uh, 
uh, uh, Parkinson uh, and, and Draco and a few others that were, mm-hmm. you know, just, just buttheads in the, in the movies and classic <laughs> books. But, um, you know, you, you still got some, some standouts. I mean, yeah, we had, we had Cedric, but you know, he would, he died trying to defend Harry. Um, you know, and at least he went out on top, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so, and then Harry only got him there because he was doing the right thing by sharing the the, the Triwizard Cup, and they didn't know it was going to be a port key. But it, you know, it, it's the, Newt is one of the standout Hufflepuffs now, for uh, sure, course, ever. And that, of course, Eddie Redmayne came out and revealed that he's a Hufflepuff as well. It makes it that much more <laughs> of a connection, I think, with him to that character. Um, I that think, he'll, yeah. He'll, I think yeah. I like him so much because he's the exact opposite of me. Like, I, he's who I wish I could be. I wish I could be, you know, as focused as he is, as kind. Like, he's just got all these great qualities to his personality that I, he's adventurous. And, you know, I just, I, yeah, I just love him as a character. He, I mean, it's really, th- this one's fascinating to learn about him and the buildup of him. And, and then the second movie, you kind of get a little more insight into his relationship with others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially with Dumbledore and what made that connection, right? Right. You mentioned uh, in the interrogation about, you know, what is Dumbledore, um, you know, the relationship that you have. Uh, so you learn, you know, you really learn a lot more of his um, kind of perspective on on other people with it that have been in his life. Um, mm-hmm. The flashbacks in the second movie with Lita Lestrange and his days at is at Hogwarts and and you know the relationship that uh, that the beginning build up. A connection that he had with the, these creatures sure. um so you know it, it really does and i hope they keep expanding on his uh growth as a character because all we really knew him from was the name on a book and then started to develop him in this movie and i really do i really hope they develop him more and more as, as time goes on with these uh, anticipated five movies and that he's a very prominent uh name and character by the time we get to um what would be the wizarding world uh, wars with uh Grindelwald, um, you know, versus Dumbledore, and that um, it's a very um, well-developed and well-all-around character uh, in that universe uh, by the time we lead up close to the time of uh, Tom Riddle. Right. I totally agree. Well, um, I'm going to ask you the last couple of questions, if that's okay. okay. Uh, What keeps you coming back to this film in particular out of the series? Um, I think a lot of it is just the actors, um, having been genuine part of it, uh, with interacting with these actors in particular, like Leaky Con, getting to ask them questions about this movie and the chemistry that they had with each other. Um, just watching the little subtle nuances of this movie, uh, facial features, nonverbal gestures, you know, plus just the, the, the fantastic CGI that's done with these, these, uh, creatures, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the obscurest type CGI, the, you know, the interaction, um, you know, the music, there, there's so much that's little so here, little there. <laughs> yeah, little, little parts everywhere throughout that, um, you know, draw me back into either parts of this movie or the movie as, as a whole, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, like I, I didn't really see myself continuing after the last Harry Potter book. I felt like there was a pin in it. It's done. I didn't rush out and see this first movie. I didn't see it till it was on video. I had some close friends that did not like it and they told me it was bad. It was boring. And I went, yeah, you know, she's out of ideas. Like I really thought that. And then when I went and sat down and watched it, I was shocked. I mean, maybe my expectation level was different because I'd heard 
negative things. And so I was in like the right mindset or something, but I absolutely loved it. And I yeah. just, you know, knew I, it as I, a character. And like you're saying, the, the chemistry between the friends, their relationships, that's, that's what drew me in um, and makes me keep coming back to it. Yeah, I think it got a bad rap uh, coming into it because people were so used to Harry and Hermione and Ron. Right, and they wanted, yeah, you missed they those wanted guys. I get they it. Wanted that chemistry and they wanted an expansion of that story that they just they they felt like they were you know when you weren't really shorted you got you know got the the expansion of the epilogue at the end of the last one and, sure. and you kind of understood you know not counting cursed child you, you kind of understood where the story was going mm-hmm. and this was a whole other world you know it was in it the is, same world but it was different. a different time frame um mm-hmm. You know, so you, I, I, you know, you come into it with open expectations uh, in the beginning, and it's just a, a wonderful world to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. It feels like an expansion. It is a little different. I like that it's different. So I'm okay with a new direction and a new interpretation. Yeah, uh, definitely. H- how do you pitch this movie to someone that hasn't seen it before that maybe is hesitant to to jump in? Um, you know, I, I kind of tell them that that don't. You know, it's yeah. You can expect parts of of if you love Harry Potter and and the, the whole aspect of the wizarding wizarding world. But it you know it's if it, it's more of a time piece and it's also the beginning of a whole other story. That it's this character development of this very unique character um, and these amazing animals that uh, and the relationships that he builds. Plus, it gives you insight to the beginning of, of some of these stories that you may have known um, if you're familiar with the, the you know, the, the Harry Potter universe with uh, the good guys and bad guys. Sure. Um, to, to be able to come into this uh, and know, yeah, I've heard Grindelwald's name before. And I know, you know, oh, the, there's Dumbledore's name. And, and then as you go along, you know, it's 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 really you, you kind of take it on an entity of its own, even if you either know about uh, Harry Potter universe or, or you don't. Um, you know, if you don't, it's an even bigger world to, you know, try to, uh, expand on and, and just open your mind to, you know, that it, um, it'll make you want to go back and watch different parts of, of the Harry Potter movies and, and read the books to get certain references, you know, or certain names, sure. uh, um, that maybe are a part of this early, early part, 50, 60 years before the, uh, the time of, um, you know, 11 year old Harry Potter. Yeah. I, you know, when the, when the books came out, I was already, like almost out of high school. So it's kind of maybe out of the age range that it was specifically aimed at just a little bit older. I actually read the first book uh, when I was babysitting. <laughs> and it was, you know, I was reading it as a nighttime story to, yeah. to a child that I was babysitting. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting for like a children's novel, like a young adult novel. Yeah. And uh, ended up I don't think I finished it, but then I saw the movie and it probably wasn't until the second one that I really got into it. And uh, later on, I read all the books and, you know, this just feels like an extension of all that. It was so sad when it ended. I thought it was over, but I'm glad there's more. And this is more of an adult version, I think, you know, it's it's like the, the kids that watched those movies the, the the books and the movies kind of grew with them they got to experience yeah. it from that level and by by this time they're full grown adults so it makes sense that you know these newer movies would focus on the adults so the tone is different and uh, the mm-hmm. magic is different a lot of things are different but i think it's a really good story and it's got a great cast like you mentioned so i think it's it's definitely worth a watch um 
And I'm so glad somebody was like uh, saying online, I think it was Kyle, he was like, why would you go with this one first before all the Harry Potter ones? I'm like, you know, <laughs> I actually have advertised to people to pick Harry Potter movies and everyone's like so afraid to pick one because there's so many. And I'm like, you can pick whichever one you want. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to go in order. That's not how this show is. But I think people just felt intimidated by it. And you actually suggested a Harry Potter movie too. But when I saw your cosplay and the yeah. fact that, you know, Fantastic Beast was in your list. I was like, we got to go with that one. So yeah, I think yeah. I think if it would have been any at all, uh, as far as the movies, not not so much, you know, uh, movies versus books, because the movies, you know, yeah, it's a whole other uh, conversation, for, for a whole other <laughs> conversation in itself. Um, I think either it would have been um, the Half Blood Prince uh, movie, although it, it it does differ quite a bit. Uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban was, was I love Gary Oldman, Ugh, I love um, that movie. and yeah. uh, or or the Deathly Hollows Part Two mm-hmm. uh, had All so much choices. going on. Yeah. Um, so I think any three of those would have been big picks. Uh, you had the original, the very first one was so much closer, you know, to the book itself, sure. uh, forward and backwards, with the exception of a little bit. So yeah, I think that if I had to pick any of any of those to actually highlight, it probably been one of those three for sure. I I totally understand. I think those are great picks. And uh, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. You had all these notes. I could hear you turning (laughs) pages. I love that. That's so great. I feel like I learned so much about this movie that I didn't know before. Um, I, you know, like I said, I'm a big fan. Been to the Wizarding World myself. Uh, Have not been to LeakyCon, but... You definitely sold that to me as well. Um, I look forward to seeing you in person at the next con. We should totally take a picture of our newts together. Um, and you need to send me some of these pictures as well, just so I, I can do. feature yeah. them. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you, um, I think I sent you pictures of my, my collection. Of your collection, yeah, you so did. I'm not, not ashamed of that. It is uh, rather hard. <laughs> you should not uh, be ashamed. I'm, yeah. I'm doing okay. Uh, the only wands I have, oddly enough, uh, my favorite characters, I've, of course, I have newts. Uh, but the other ones I have that sit, um, the, the pops actually sit on top of their wands is, uh, Neville and, uh, ah. Cedric. So Cedric Degree and Neville Longbottom. Interesting. I've got, awesome. Uh, I love Cedric's wand. It's, mm. uh, it's very simplistic, but it's got all these like carvings and stuff, uh, in it. Um, I wish they would have had a little more feature of it in the, in the movie, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but being such a small role, uh, in the movie versus a book. Sure. Um, but, uh, Neville's very much the underdog. Uh, it's Yo, great, of course. great and everything. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, one of my pride and joys is this collection. I can't tell you how many individual pieces, but among the, uh, t-shirts, um, and the, uh, just, just the memorabilia and the, <laughs> the books and the, you know, everything that that's within that world. Um, you know, and I get, you know, I'm getting excited about, uh, you know, with the, the news of, of the third movie in production now and all that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's only going to grow and grow from here. And I'm glad that people are still loving everything that, that J.K. Rowling's putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sean, um, you'll have to think about your next movie coming back uh, when you come back on the show. And again, I really appreciated having you and uh, hope you have a good one. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs>